I'm Doug Jones, and you have discovered Beyond Trek Podcast. A red alert. Okay, cool. So we got to see Trill this episode. Yeah, we haven't seen Trill since. We have we ever oh, you're seen right. Trill? We, we did get to see Trill. Uh, it was Deep Space in, Nine. Uh, oh, okay, okay. Lives of Dax. No, it's just there was a time where we go to the caves of Makala in the in that episode too. Yeah, that was. I um, am obsessed with Trill now, but we can get into that. Right, right, yeah, definitely get into that, and that they're going more into the Trill. Uh, I mean, we we had learned a lot about their society in in DS Nine, but now we're getting more into the meat of the uh, the host and uh, symbiont relationship. Mm-hmm. And and what that what that looks like on their on their home world, but yeah, yeah. Bef- before we do that, I guess we should do some introductions. I know I'm Big J. Who are the rest of all of you? I'm Dag. I'm Watney. I'm Renzo. Ooh, we did good Glad. that time. I think that goes down the record as a uh, uninterrupted. <laughs> Watney's got, got a tally. Good intros, bad intros. A tally, <laughs> and there's one mark on it. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome so back, Wadi. You You've been gone listening. a couple weeks. Thank you. Yeah, I have been gone. Um, got remodeling my house, doing all sorts of fun stuff um, huh? with work. But yeah, thanks for um, giving me some space, co-host, and I'm back. We missed you. Ready to fucking talk about some discovery. Yes, yes. Uh-oh, oh, no, fresh. So that segues right into this warning. Viewers, listeners, uh, we are going to spoil the heck out of this episode, so if you haven't seen it yet, too bad. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> and we'll probably be spoiling some old episodes, too. Some Deep Space Nine episodes and other oh, things, yeah. too. Yeah, mm-hmm. if, if the episode's more than 20 years old, it's, it's, it's going to be spoiled. Sorry. <laughs> more like if um, the episode's more than three weeks old it's gonna be spoiled yeah right but it, but you know we if you've just seen discovery probably fine too ready let's like let's get going yeah, i'm excited let's to talk about it so oh, um season three episode four right yes what's the name of this episode forget me not forget me not <laughs> you forgot the name of the episode forget me not very ironic. Good joke. It was good. We love it. Um, yeah, totally a joke planned everything. Um, so this this is a very so just to give you listeners some context, I binge Discovery the last three weeks in preparation for our episode reviews. Like I hadn't actually seen it, and I think it's like meant to be binged because it was getting like a lot of hate like early on episode by episode, but like, I honestly loved it. I had so much fun season one, season two. So I was really excited to like the end of season two was insane for me. I was like at the edge of my seat. I felt like the despair, like flying into the unknown into like the future. So um, I feel truly like I've kind of been on that journey the last few weeks. So I'm really excited to see what's in store for season three and, you know, how they're going to make their home here. So um, this 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 episode opens up with uh, Dr. Culver doing a log. We haven't gotten, uh, I, li- I like the logs. We haven't gotten like a lot yes. of the uh, captain's a log, sturdy, log. whatever, or yeah, medical log. Yeah. So that's, that's great. Uh, now, I, th- I think it was a, my, my ears blanked and I missed it, but he is the, the, uh, the CMO. On discovery, Chief, isn't he? Chief medical officer. Okay. Yeah, as for he some should. reason, it, right? It, for some reason, why did I think that he was not, or at least was not in the first 
season or two because I, okay, maybe it's, it's nothing, but for some reason I thought that the, um, the other doctor or someone else was the CMO, but not him. There is another doctor who I think it may be like the relief CMO or the coach CMO or the section deputy CMO. Pollard. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, she's so really cool. You saw them both like side by side a lot. So it was never really clear who was in charge, but I think this finally settles it, which is good. Right. Well, uh, cause she, she had lower rank and, and that's what made me think, okay, well, there's probably no way that she's that a, that a lower ranked officer would be the CMO. You'd be surprised during okay. wartime or times of crises. Yeah. So you can have like, a higher rank and have your CMO be a lower rank. I don't know if like it's on the same ship, if you're going to see like a commander being um, like a, just a medical officer and like a lieutenant or lieutenant commander being the CMO. I don't think that that's, there's like precedent for that. Um Unless you guys know, you guys are like the... There are examples with O'Brien, right? Like O'Brien was warding around lieutenants and ensigns when he was just an enlisted officer as the chief engineer of Deep Space Nine, essentially. Right. Mm -hmm. And the EMH Mm -hmm. had zero rank and was ordering officers around. And I think the thing, I think what happens there is the chief title goes to the person who has the most experience in the field. Like the CMO or the EMH would have had the most medical experience on Voyager given it's the EMH. So it had the privilege of also being the chief medical officer and it invoked, you know, the, I am the chief medical officer. You are relieved from duty rule. Mm -hmm. uh, Even though it, it effectively had no rank. So I think it's a little bit different. I think it's, so this is cross applying stuff from like the U S military or like militaries in the real world, but so there's a rank and then there's a position. So okay. captain is both a rank and a position. So mm-hmm. you can have somebody who's a captain of a ship whose rank is like lieutenant commander, right? Yes. Admiral. Same, Admiral. Exactly. Right. Same way you can have somebody who is a chief medical officer whose rank is an ensign because they just happen to be the senior most person and they're in that position, right? right? Conversely, you can also have somebody who's an admiral who's the CMO under a captain of a ship. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to things of like command, who's making decisions for their ship, the captain of the ship makes those choices. But if it comes to like a question of rank, like can that admiral give orders to the captain we've never seen it in star trek so it's kind of hard to say but in the real world military you have people who are like uh doctors who have admiralty ranks like vice admirals or 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 similar ranks Hmm. and they will take orders from a captain in such a situation okay yeah i think like especially in starfleet and not to get too into like the weeds here but like there is a lot of um respect in the ranks of course and so if you have an admiral that's saying here's what the brass wants to do the captain can of course contend that but by and large i think they typically fall in line i mean throughout the universe they probably do but like of course during the narrative you're going to get a lot of pushback because that's what creates conflict i.e like um them the brass wanting to like completely nuke the klingon homeworld in season two and like pike pushing back on that so yeah um so we see dr culver's log (laughs) um reality is sinking in for the crew uh the log is very telling of the state of the ship sure physically they're all fine but like a lot of them are struggling especially our pilot kayla um the sensor that he's waving around very much like we see in the original series and in other things like particularly the original series has a spinning diode or something on the inside that keeps going Really oh, cool, dope. really cool callback to the original series that. for it too. 
Well, then think of think of the stress that they're under uh, because the the decision to go nine hundred plus years into the, into the future was kind of a very sudden. We we don't have time to even tell our loved ones. Yeah, what was the happening? Adrenaline, right? It's like, just like yeah. su- suddenly you are going to be gone. And now I don't. Uh, because it, pretty much everything about Discovery and, and their mission and what happened ended up being classified and, and redacted. So do their family and loved ones even know what, what happened to them or were they just listed as um, missing in action? So you, you've got, you're thinking about that. You've got family and, and loved ones you've left back home that, um, well, now they don't know what's been told because that was all after uh, uh, they're just, they're leaving mm-hmm. at the end of season two. Yeah. So there's no telling. They don't know what Starfleet told of their, of their fate, but now suddenly they're, they're there and that's gotta be, it's gotta be very stressful. Yeah. Like not the unknown behind and the unknown ahead leaves a lot of like, why, where am I now? I'm, I'm feeling listless. And, um, you know, they made I'm, this decision. I mean, I get stressed when time. I leave the house and I wonder if I remember to close the garage door. I, I you know, I can't imagine. And if, it, did you turn the burner off? Did you unplug oh your hair dryer? Or at least I asked myself that question. Um, so, <clears throat> yeah, they made this decision during a battle, during a time of crisis when adrenaline was like flooding their system. They were getting probably like just, they were exhausted. And now that they're on the other side going about their duties, I'm sure they're thinking, was this a mistake? Right. I thought this so, was a really cool thing about time travel. Is it's it's one of the aspects that's a little less explored in in the time travel genre, if you can. Like mm-hmm. people get stranded and then pretty much to they ignore this and they go right to, all right, we've got to make a living here. And they go off and they do their thing. But this was really talking about like that. That just sort of, like you said, that listlessness. Um, and I, I was writing, I was like, man, it, it's you're no longer around for the celebrations of others who are close to you. That, that mm-hmm. you, you were there, and they're not around for yours. Mm-hmm. You know, no one's going to see your wedding now. No one, no one even knows you're alive. And that leads into something that I'm hoping we see in the next episode, or at least when they find Starfleet, that someone somewhere had you know black clearance black security clearance to to know that discovery was going to emerge in the 3200s at now okay hmm. definitely could be cool. the big thing that that strikes me about this whole thing and it is part of the time travel aspect again is the people left behind right sure you classify the mission people in starfleet are going to follow orders they're going to ask about well what happened to my friend over in discovery no they're they're going to not talk about it cool how does that affect mama tilly Tilly's mom is not going to take it standing down or sitting down that her daughter is just gone. They're not going to tell her, where is my daughter? Where is my kid? Mm-hmm. What about the parents of every other ones or their spouses or their children even, uh, right? Like people are going to have been looking for discovery. Absolutely. It's not going to be this sort of like complete void of knowledge. You can't stop parents looking for their kids. We find that in the real world too. Well, no, wait, wasn't the story that discovery was lost with all hands that, that just just popped into my memory because yes. I, I think they said that so that they would discourage what you just said, Renzo, was the whole fervent search for what happened. If they just I say, saw well, them die. right, we yeah. saw them die. It was d- destroyed. And that pretty much like ends the story and keeps what you're talking about from happening because that would be counter to them trying to classify and redact the, the fate of discovery. And while that's technically not a lie, messages. Mm-hmm. the goodbye messages, 
Yeah. Like you see them recording these things, like at the end of season two, before they make the jump, they're like, and you were always mom's favorite. We know that like, you know, you guys remember that, right? Uh, Yeah. I I remember that, but like I said, yes, they recorded all those messages. However, when, when they were doing, uh, when the enterprise crew and, uh, and Tyler were doing the debriefing after the fact, there's no telling they could have taken those messages and just said, okay, well, now that we're going to classify and redact discovery in its existence, all these goodbye messages need to also be classified and, and whatnot. I'm with you there. I'm not opposing that. I'm just saying that I don't think a parent, like a parent's going to care that, Oh, their, their ship was blown up. Yes. Who cares? I need to find this out for myself. I need to go. Okay. That parent is going to look for that kind of thing. Like look for those recordings. Where's the wreckage? I can't can't speak to the families of everybody else, but I am 100% predicting by the end of this season, uh, we're going to see a hibernation chamber open up until his mom's going to come out. (laughs) (laughs) I would be surprised. I would be like more... I would lean more towards like Burnham's mom somehow. That would be interesting. Because like we never really got the resolution to that plot and that plot thread, but let's keep going. Yes, yes. And get into the episode. So um, the medical log is he's checking everyone. You can tell he's doing a great job. Dr. Culver is, is doing the CMO's duty, which is the health of the crew and not just physically. We know mental health is such a vital aspect of your holistic health so he goes into saying that adira is going to help them track down federation secrets from the symbiont inside her who may or may not know the historical knowledge of where the federation is currently Um, and there's no way to know why she can't remember things so we're going to drill a little trip to trill super dope yeah colber colber here he's like he's like a total empath and I'm, I'm, I'm like I'm thinking of him as like the ship's life coach because mm-hmm. he's handling this whole time travel thing really well I'm 900 years in the future my duties to the ship I'm gonna make sure the crew is taken care of is someone taking care of Hugh we're hoping but let's not forget right he also went through his whole like disassociative like he stopped having a body he was trapped in the mycelial network for a while mm-hmm. so he's probably like okay time travel is cool but have you ever been have you ever spent oh, a yeah, night yeah, in the mycelial yeah. network <laughs> yeah oh my jeez. um <laughs> yeah i think he's kind of like embracing this new life because so much of his past is such a mystery to him and right. such a uh removed uh set of memories like it's someone else's memories i think he said so i think he's like diving headfirst into this new future and just trying to be like the best he can be for the crew and i like his partnership with saru as the episode goes on it's it's really awesome to see because i love Trek medical stuff so uh we cut to the title sequence um beautiful as always and then they just straight up jump to trill no waiting we have a spore drive it's functional for now there's it a lot really of helps keep the story going so yeah and trill um, is beautiful it is it so reminds me of the like tng like here's the set mm-hmm you know, here's the set and here's all the flowers, like the way the flowers were when we get down there, I'm jumping ahead a little, but let's, like, I was going to say, let's not skip the medical actual bit. Cause there were some interesting things there that we should probably talk about too. Yeah. 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 
So like sure. the symbiont itself, right? It is a lot bigger than we've ever seen them before. It's mm-hmm. It takes up like a huge amount of her entire chest cavity wrapped around her heart, even like they, like they mentioned, protecting her. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. That's a, that's a much bigger piece of meat extra added to you than anything we've ever seen in Trek, as far as I can think. Um, there is Sorry, a little I just bit thought that was an extra piece of meat added to you. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I think of that that comes close is from Beta Canon. Um, they talk about how the Trill symbionts grow throughout the course of their entire life, so they're always getting bigger. And at a certain point, they stop being small enough to fit inside of a Trill, so they end up being deposited into certain caves that we'll see later in the episode. So this whole portion of it does make sense with a lot of the Beta Canon stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, when they live in those caves, that's where they reproduce. That's where they like share memories with each other at the ends of their lives kind of thing. So... Definitely well, I mean, fits. It's really, we know, really well integrated. We yeah. know that this this particular symbiote has to be at least over 800 years old. And we'll talk about reasons why at the end of the episode. But it makes sense that if they get bigger over that era, that you know, an 800-year-old symbiont, the last symbiont we really had any experience with was Dax. That Dax was only about 300 years old. There, so. yeah, there is a medical diagram of a trill that is on memory alpha and it's from a book. It's like the first 150 years of Federation or something like that. But the trill in the medical diagram looks like it sits between like the liver. It like wraps around the liver. It's a much more like horizontal like partnership. It's not so much like bam, but that's a but the body of a trill. I'm sure there's like potentially a cavity there for the trill to exist. So um again, we have to remember Adira is a human. So yeah. Not a well now and, and that that's the thing that I was a little con- confused with when you're talking about because yes, Watney, you're right. The the trill body and, and physiology may have uh, just evolved to um, to to accompany and, and house a symbiont whether you're an actual host or not it's like your your body is developed that way just in case but the human body is not so th- that where in the hell would this thing fit there is no extra space or, or cavity in the human body to just suddenly have a two foot long Mm -hmm. subway sandwich stuffed into your body so like the human body is extremely adaptive first Mm -hmm. of all um you know we do uh, organ transplants now and your body will adjust for like the size of that the the organ itself will grow in size like for example if you have two kidneys you lose a kidney your other kidney will grow to fit Mm -hmm the like needs of your body. So we know that humans are very resilient. We also know that Adira is like 16 or something. So mm-hmm. I'm sure that like, if this Simeon is probably going to stay with her unless something happens. Um, and uh, am I getting Adira's pronouns right? They actually haven't specified in the episode at all. I really want to make sure they did. They, 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 but they, they've used they she did. and her on her, but we've okay. been told that from like external sources that it that the character is non-binary okay they haven't had a whole but she like, and her is fine right or non-binary yeah. they haven't had okay. any conversation of like call me she or her or anything okay so. great right. i just want to be have, extra extra respectful of that i've also so. heard from blue del barrio who plays adira that um that 
emergence of of non-binaryism is going mm-hmm. to be part of their art. <gasps> the so I'm, journey, I'm, of course. I'm I'm referring to them as they them just because mm-hmm. that's what I know that their end goal is. Um, mm-hmm. But if there is, you know, if there's a correction that I need to make, you guys can let me know. The commenters can let me know. The audience, yeah, just let me know. Like, how does that? Work? I think, like, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Do we want to preempt that transition and the growth there with? I don't know. Well, because you guys all know Lare, my partner, is non-binary. Mm-hmm. And and he likes, he prefers the he, him, masculinity. Um, and it was just, it was just a moment where it was like, yesterday, we were not sure. Today, we're trying this out. And it's been that way for over a year. Mm-hmm. And that's where we are with that. Mm-hmm. So it's been an interesting experience there. But it was very much a yesterday we did one thing and today we are not doing that thing at all Mm -hmm. and we're doing this instead. Mm -hmm. One more thing to point out though is the size of the bluegill parasites from Conspiracy and TNG Mm -hmm. is... The, the queen, at the very least, is very close in size to the troll that we saw no in Adira. Shit. But only the queen, not the little ones. Right. But it's Yo, only it's... beta canon that they're related. Only beta canon that they're related. Very true. Yeah. Holy in, shit. Yeah, in the books, the, the bluegill are an offshoot of the trill symbiotes. I mean, it's like a fucking... It's huge! Well, Dude, if we bring the bluegills back in the 32nd century, I'm going to be so mad. Why? Right. I mean, that's dope. That's like one of my favorite villains. Yeah, Watney, my my main thing was not so much the being able to adapt to having it. It was just the Mm -hmm. mass displacement of where are you going to fit something that size inside a human body that does not have extra space uh, already just ready to go. Just take the lungs and move them and then move the liver. You're fine, right? Yeah, forget about it. Have science. Have you ever eaten... Like a full oh sub sandwich. <laughs> if yeah. you can eat one and cram that into you, there's space for it. Well, I don't put it, you know, full into my mouth like a cone head and not chew it. Mass. Wait. You cannot Wait. get rid of mass. That's not how you're supposed to eat it. <laughs> okay. Not, not the human Like way. a cone yeah, head. Oh my God. Way. What a fucking callback. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Dan so anyway, we do the scan. Anything else you want to touch on here before we continue? No, good on? God. Let's keep okay. going. <laughs> Um, okay, I do. I do want to point out dag. that uh, in the the whole Adira thing, um, mm-hmm. I love how uncertain and hesitant, and maybe even just a little bit jumpy she is here. They are here, um, right? And it and it it plays into again. It plays into the end of the episode, but I feel I want to point that out now because by the end of the episode, we see a cool change. Yes, it's it comes with the restoration of memories and right. life. So excellent. Saru's like, we're going to trill. We're going to trill. They jump to trill. Which um, right. It's a really cool like plot device or story device to just have the ship jump around rather than having to travel places. Absolutely Definitely cool. Keeps that plot it really going. Cuts down on that time to make captain's logs and yeah, but so much you know. happens at warp. You don't get that ship at warp with the stars, Captain's Log, start a full set. Yeah, but the, the satisfying sound of the flip yeah. to me, it's so nice. Um, and they're not focusing on the spinny bits anymore, which is nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's just like spin drop. Yeah. It's so great. Um, so, yes, we are going to Trill. Um, I don't know where we are in the screen grabs, but we finally get there. It's beautiful. They're like, hey, do you... Uh, do you 
recognize this planet at all? And she's like, not really. Um, they arrive at Yellow Alert, which is a neat detail, too, because they're not really sure how they're going to be welcomed. Yes. After and- what happened on Earth. Yeah. yeah, but it's a nice change of pace. You know, the trill, I think we're always kind of like chill by and large from what I saw in DS9. Mm, so it's okay. like, cause they have like all this wealth of knowledge. So it's like hard for to really, I mean, obviously now this episode, we saw some not so chill trill, but um, yeah, he's like the, the bridge. What's his name? I'm really bad with names or discovery. Cause I didn't watch all of them with subtitles. Here's the comms officer. Yeah. I mean, o- Omo, or Omo. Omo yeah. is the comms officer. I no, think no, the like comms. Omo short for Omo Shikun. Yeah, who is the? She's she's in the. She's the uh, ops officer. Right, yeah, she's, she's the ops. ops officer. Oh, he's not ops. No, okay. he's, he's comms. Oh right. shit! Okay, no, it's okay. I'll find it. I had. I'm, it I'm gonna get it down. Yeah, Just yeah, we're we're dab. we we we're not at that rice. Yeah. Bryce, that's right. Yeah. Bryce is like no weapons, nothing hostile. The commission commissioner boss hops in with a hologram. I loved like in the first few episodes of this, like I think it was the episode prior, but like the Earth woman was like a view screen. How quaint! It was like really, that was really <laughs> funny to me because like we love a good view screen, you know. Um, this what just happened here, just, just real quick, Watney is is a uh, interesting point that I really hope that they that they work on to fix and it's the the fact that in uh in TOS and TNG Deep Space Nine Voyager all of that after a couple episodes you you knew who everyone was their names their positions etc cetera, etc cetera. Yes. we're in the third season of discovery and there are many characters here that I, I just like, I, I know what they look like. I know where mm-hmm. their position is, but I haven't been able to commit their name to memory because there has not been much. It's it, it's like a, it's the Burnham show, it, right? It's, it, it's the Burnham show. And that's the thing that's very hard. It's been hard for me to adjust to because I've been so used to knowing who your characters are. And there are just so many yeah. nameless characters here i keep trying to think of okay who who are my bridge officers who who's my wharf and troy and, and no. jordy and data but they don't really have that yes they've mentioned each person's name i think once and that's been it there's yeah, not when like pike said goodbye he was like you guys yes. are you guys are good at this you there have not been this. and i'm like wait what was that name and but we did have a spotlight <laughs> for ariam right and right she like died yeah the next yeah. episode, the episode which is yeah. like making it's like okay we're getting arium time she's gone <laughs> there's something going on with her she's dead and well, that's and, part and of the change right yeah mm-hmm. that's part of the changes that they did with discovery right the first season we didn't they were just background characters we, they were never even barely spoken to in the mm-hmm. second season they started getting a little bit of personality and names kayla and awoshikan finally got their episodes like early on in the season they were the ones that went on away missions and such so we got them a little bit now we're getting a little bit more we're, we're meeting nilson who's the same actress who used to play arium she was the one who went in to rescue stamets earlier in the season <gasps> oh my so, god i just got chills is that the new bridge officer the yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah she's the one who sits yeah. on the, the the captain's chair when oh my there. god yeah. yeah she was the original arium i like her already and you know what i love about that's so cool what I love about that is one, she played Arium right up until that last episode where they got somebody else to play Arium and then Nelson shows up mm-hmm. and now she's Nelson and she is just your typical run of the mill human. No cybernetic implants. She's not an alien. She's not a hybrid. She's got yeah, she's, she's like Jen. 
she is remarkable mm-hmm. in that she is not remarkable among this crew. She's you know? kind of like the normal we can relate to, and hopefully we get to see more and more of her. But she, like that's how I wrote Jen for a long time was mm-hmm. she's like the typical human, and all the weird stuff like bounces off of her. She's like a mirror because like, that's how space is. Yeah. You know, you have like the weird aliens, and like everyone loves those like lovable characters, and then you kind of like identify with the human because obviously mm-hmm. we're all human. So, but you guys touched on a really good point when you're like it's the Burnham show, and I was thinking about it, and I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, TNG had. F- focus episodes and i was thinking about picard and even picard in its own 10 episodes there was a rios focus and a rafi focus and a Mm -hmm. gerardi focus Mm -hmm. and you know maybe it's because we did like 10 episodes where we broke down each character and that's why they stick um but yeah uh you're absolutely right it's it has been 75 percent about burnham we know more names about the um, on the enterprise in discovery than we really do about the people on yeah search for spock you know section 31 the whole like ash tyler plot definitely more about burnham than really anybody else and that's okay like i like the change in format personally um i think lower decks does a great job of doing like individual spotlights but for Discovery, it's fine because Burnham's such an interesting character. And honestly, like her change in season three has really been jarring for me. And I think she's been, she has performing amazing, amazingly in season three. Um, yeah, sorry, there we go. Sidebarring again. Sidebarring again. Keeping getting us off track. Well, <laughs> yeah. one thing to, to, to mention before we move on, though, is also the fact that the cast that we see on every episode is not the same, right? Even in a Geordie centric episode, we'd see a scene where Crusher's doing something we'd see a scene with troy mm-hmm. doing something etc yeah. right Makes here we'll go whole episodes without seeing jet reno or without seeing non and that's like a chief engineer and the chief of security and we just don't see them and you right. know that's fine there's nothing wrong with that um that's the choice that they've made for their show it's just uh, a bit harder to keep track of the entire crew than if you just don't get them even like a background establishing shot kind yeah. of thing Seasons one and two, when we had like a full compliment too, it was very difficult to do that. But now that we're in season three and we have like, they did a great job this episode at the tree at, at the Presidio or the former Presidio. Um, Presidio? I don't know what I'm saying. Presidio. Right. Um, and, and we get to see kind of like a group shot of who's going to be spotlighted through mm-hmm. through the rest of the show. So anyway, we jump to Trill. Saru comes uh, down to talk to Stamets in engineering and he's like, you had a piece of metal stuck in you and were induced into a coma. And the way he says it makes like gives such familiarity as Doug Jones is so good. He's just like an amazing actor and his tone and inflection there really makes me think it's like, Oh, you again, you know, like, um, don't just hand wave your injury, blah, blah, blah. And everyone's kind of repeating the same thing to him. Um, well, and it's very- kind of an ass here too. Who is Stamets? Stamets. Oh, he totally is. And also Saru is less concerned about Stamets and more concerned about the functionality Stamets provides for discovery as is the captain, as the captain should be. But um, I think in a way Stamets is kind of like, and like I'm also hand-waving how I feel about this. And he is, he's a total dick. He is because Saru has a very valid concern Mm because dilithium is a a rare and precious thing. Uh, If if you have too much of it, you you might draw attention. I mean, people are out there pirating dilithium. So warp travel is is, is at a premium. They have something that is unique. 
uh, to, to their ship that they are really trying to keep under wraps because they're going to have a big target on their back. And you have one person who can operate it. So if you lose Stamets, you're screwed. So yes, that's a very real scary concern. Yeah. Very easy to lose a crew member, especially uh, someone who's so prominent. It's like their weight, the weight of what they can do is so much heavier. And it's just like, obviously he's not more important than anyone else on the crew, but he has a very vital role. So, uh, and then Tilly suggests, Hey, I've been thinking of a new, like, interface it involves dark matter and samitz is like don't waste my time and she's like motherfucker <laughs> i'm proud of tilly for for i i love tilly first of all i think she's like my total favorite yes throughout the entire series and her her growth in this episode is pretty great um she kind of sticks up for herself and um i don't know i just like where she's at and then sam is you know he's obviously going through a lot himself he's in a lot of pain he's like a very prideful person and so um for tilly to suggest that he not be as vital as he is i think it's okay for him to have a little bit of pride it's like a, a nice character flaw to see in him yeah he is like the chief on this project and it it would really break my heart if I was the chief on the project and I was also the the one who figured out how to run the project with the the implants, and then suddenly the captain's like, you know, you got injured, you could die, and that would leave this ship stranded. So we need an alternative, and I, I don't think Stamets was prepared to confront his own death. And part of his grumpiness here might lead back to the way Colbert was, you know, assessing the crew with their stress levels. Like his stress is running high as well. And now he, on top of that, he has to face his mortality and the added bonus of, you know, if any other member of the crew dies, the ship can probably still go. But if I die, the ship is stranded. So the future of the Federation for the moment depends on my ability to interface with mm-hmm. this functionality mm-hmm. yeah no that's a very that's a terrifying thing to consider as a captain too right like in a, in a world where warp makes you a target and dilithi makes you a target this yeah. is our this is our way of moving around without threatening our existence too right so, and imagine if like a whole bunch of like raiders showed up and were like we're gonna take your dilithium and stamets is like we're jumping <laughs> it's a poof it's honestly like an insane piece of technology to have still like it's more valuable than dilithium like stamets is like the pivot point for a huge hugely desirable piece of technology he more is desirable than iconian gateways to be honest it's, it's, i don't yeah. understand why yes it's 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 tele it's teleporting an entire yeah. spaceship yeah um yeah he's the most valuable commodity suddenly in the galaxy yeah and i think he's kind of complacent honestly like he's being a huge asshole like he needs to realize the weight of his responsibility Mm -hmm. and um not be so like i'm important but just be like i'm here to serve you like i'm here to serve the crew for whatever they need and i understand that if i die that you guys will be at impulse or they can go at warp but you know they have limited dilithium so <clears throat> anyway we skip over to burnham's quarters dr colbert enters asks for hey you got a second to talk and he's like look adira's lost a lot of me- all of her memories she needs emotional support right now 
And Burnham's like, what makes you think that that's me? And he's like, well, you guys both are kind of in a similar situation. And there's this thing like post-traumatic growth, certain life events can inspire us to evolve and live our lives in a different way. Um, and clearly Burnham and he like reads her like a book, like she's still in the process of all of that. And like, she's a responsibility hoarder. So, and that hasn't changed. That's something that's stayed consistent. So why don't you take some responsibility for Adira and uh, go with her to trail? Any yes. thoughts on the scene? I thought like, I like no. the dynamic between them in this scene a lot. I like the dynamic between them as well. Um, when I first watched the episode, and again, the second time I watched this episode, I did kind of feel like, okay, so this is the narrative's way of, of you know, getting Michael to go along with the action. Mm-hmm. Is there any other member of the crew who, who may have served this role? Mm. And, you know, I really can't think of anybody. Which role are you I, talking about? He- the, the role that Colber is calling out here is somebody to emotionally support Adira. No, because we don't have, have a counselor. counselor yeah. They may not have a counselor, but why couldn't Colber go? Like, could this episode have also had, like, featured Colber? Colber is very, like, settled, in my opinion. He's very adept. He's he's on top of his game. He needs to be on the ship with the crew. I mean, did we just establish a few crisis. minutes ago that it's the Burnham show? It is the Burnham show. She's got to go. Narratively, it does make sense. But I also think it's like character, from a character mm-hmm. perspective, he's pushing her to go because he knows it's going to help her too. Now, had this, yes, had this been the next generation, you're right. That could very well have been been Culver. Could have been, you know, anyone but but Burnham. But, you know, this is, yeah, it just, it's a, this is a different show. Well, mm-hmm. and he does go on to say, like, you've been in this time for a year. You're the most experienced with person we have on the ship with this new era very so, valid yeah. so i yeah that helps a lot but i yeah i was definitely <laughs> still thinking like Picard or tng era this would have been colber's episode yes um yeah. well i don't even know why it has to be just one person going down to be honest you could send them both send somebody who goes going as like a doctor a medical person and somebody who's going to be like the comforter or like help with a accommodating the change which could be burnham too much no risk could just be one it, it, but the, the the risk the risk is all heightened i mean when you when you go back to your home planet and you're you're uh, welcomed with uh you know guns hands on the gun already and and hostility um you've got a depleted crew anyway there, there are just too many unknowns. It's mm-hmm. everything's even more dangerous than it was before. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, you don't have the the luxury of sending two of your top command officers on an away mission like you might have before yes. all of this. Yes, so we it's, know it's, it's just... a peaceful like situation, but um, I think Burnham's the perfect person to go. She has the in-universe knowledge of that mm-hmm. time frame. Um, we She's have a moment a later on. Hoarder. She is a responsibility hoarder, but yeah. there's a moment over. Uh, there's a moment later on where I was like, "That's not very Starfleet of you." No, the Starfleet thing would be for the entire bridge crew to grow down at once. Yes, That's what we've seen <laughs> a times throughout the show. Oh, too yes. too dangerous. Let's send down the captain, the chief engineer, the. Right? So. <laughs> you're you're not wrong. Um, we'll leave the let's transporter chief in command. Let's just put the entire important cast and, and crew in here. And, and, so. and we we always have to send Stamets, so the ship is always perpetually threatened to be stranded. <laughs> If I was Suru, I'd be like, you're in engineering and you're in your quarters and that is it. 
Right. Like, you, you're not going anywhere else. You're not traipsing around the ship. Out. And that would give him incentive, I think, to... Did you out a backup? But then again, engineering is like his total life, so maybe he doesn't give a shit. Um, anyway, so Adira <laughs> and Burnham decide to go down together after some like, okay, fine, do it yourself. Like some little like banter there. And um, mm-hmm. I like the dynamic between them. I think it's really cute. I think I she's love, their sister. I love the smug smile Burnham gets when she's like, oh, if you're good, I'm out. And she's she totally starts walking more away. Now. <laughs> she's so much more expressive. Like all of her Vulcan yes. tendencies have kind of been like washed away with the wormhole. Like now she's, <laughs> yeah. she's, she's she, like t- loosey goosey. She's decorated her quarters. She's like not, you know, a tight ass all the time. Um, I, but I also great. think that yeah. she has retained the, the analytical capabilities yes. of that that she picked up, and of course, you don't just lose that in a year. But in a year, perhaps that rigid Vulcan exterior is not the best way to make deals when you're bartering. For- Absolutely. Absolutely. I like the I like the sister dynamic that seems yeah. to be developing here between mm-hmm. big sister, little sister. I think that's going to be a great dynamic, especially mm-hmm. considering that uh, that that Burnham is already lost. A, a younger sibling, sibling. Yes. and an older sibling. Yeah. I mean, where yeah. does Cyborg fall in the age between Burnham and and Spock, or should we not go there? We're not going to talk. Anyway, about she's Cyborg. lost a couple yeah. siblings already. <laughs> yeah, well, and I have a younger sister. Yeah, yeah, I have a younger Aww. sister who's ten years younger. Oh, okay. and so seeing like the dynamic was like you know Adira wants her independence and to go on her own. Mm-hmm. But then she realizes she kind of needs like someone to be there with her. And a sister is like the perfect person, I think, to be there, especially one who's like going to kick ass if she needs to. Um, So we uh, we go to the ready room. Oh, they fly down. They fly down, which is interesting because there's like transporters that are personal touch, I think. Really? Okay, what are your thoughts on it? I'm curious. Here's the why. So the reason why transporters exist in Star Trek and why they exist in sci-fi basically is because it was cheaper. In TOS, it was cheaper to just beam them down than to show like a shuttlecraft scene every time. Mm -hmm. So that's why they just came up with the idea and they stuck with it and it's become like a trope of Star Trek, right? Mm -hmm. Here, we don't have to worry about about the budget. It probably costs them as much to animate a shuttle going down as it does to actually animate like the effect for transporters. Mm -hmm. So they're just using them both kind of interchangeably, which I like right mm-hmm. right yeah you're you're right it's the, the budget is uh, i think less of a of a concern now and and you can have it, it very well may have been that uh if, if given the right budget that transporters would probably never have been a thing or would have just been a thing for cargo and that the uh, the means of transport from ship to surface was always intended to be shuttle and you know, in the 60s, someone tells Gene, hey, no, we don't have the budget to do something like this uh, every time you want to go visit a planet. So, all right, well, why don't, why don't we just have them disappear the and reappear? Iconic... Yeah. <laughs> yes. This iconic plot device. Yes. So... <laughs> <laughs> it's legit a classic, iconic beam me up, which is never actually said, mm-hmm. but classic track it's like i think a huge it literally is like in my opinion picard and transporting are kind of the bridges to pop culture for star trek like Mm -hmm. everyone knows picard and everyone knows what beaming is everyone knows what transporting is the shimmery light disappear shimmery light reappear it's kind of like a, a huge link to the other zeitgeist cult like pop culture media for me. Plus, you know, the other thing that you get when you go down via shuttle, 
some good establishing shots. Mm. Um, yes. And I, I love a good shuttle scene. So they, mm-hmm. they hop on a shuttle, fly down quite archaic, but well, they have a quaint screen. So yeah, very quaint. <laughs> I like we're here. It's in the kind 21st of ambassadorial. Century. It's the 21st century. Right. We're talking about how archaic it is to send a shuttlecraft from a spaceship to a planet several hundred light years away. <laughs> it's, <laughs> my time it's great. It's the great. Times. It. Sorry, Dan, did you say 21st century or 31st century? Because, you know, we're kind of in both we're, in this situation. We're <laughs> us. We're in the 21st century talking about how archaic it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there, we cut to the ready room for a very beautiful medical chart scene. I love this. Um, so Colbert uh, tells Saru, crew's great, but look at their stress levels. Um, so we need to do something like they need to feel connected. We need to find a way to make it happen. And, um, if, if this continues, like there's going to be severe issues with the operations of discovery. It's just a fact, like mental health is critically important. This is a wonderful message, mm-hmm. uh, in this episode. Um, so <clears throat> we cut to, we actually cut to trail and this matches Dag's beautiful background here. I love how you can see like deciduous and like evergreen trees yeah. here. It's yeah. kind yeah. of nice. It, it looks very earthy to me. It, it feels it. What's, what's really cool with here is it feels like a, a, a resurgence of nature. After after Mm -hmm. things have sort of fallen apart, it kind of plays into our post-apocalypse media where after there aren't a whole lot of, you know, of the smart people to keep the tech up and growing, nature reclaims the space. Mm -hmm. And this is a really cool balance of that manicured space, but it's very just flowing with green. I love it. (laughs) Well, look at look at what happened uh, here in 2020 during the during the quarantine. Uh, air quality started going back up. Uh, you started give, getting more green uh, just in your in environments and in the, in the flora and fauna. Uh, mm-hmm. When you when you slow down, man, and uh, d- d- don't have them just out roaming and rummaging and and uh, you know capitalizing and everything else, then the nature starts to flourish again. And we're seeing this as one of those effects of, of, the, of the burn is that now things were forced to slow down. Now you've got nature re- reclaiming and, and flourishing more. It's uh, just the same as the planet that the, uh, the trans worms w- were on. You, you've got all this, this beautiful scenery and that's, and that's because you've got You've got less travel, you've got less foot traffic, uh, you know, less of whatever it is. And now, and now nature's coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and so that's. In deep, in deep sound, we got, we got a few shots of Trill from orbit, but we never see like a city. We never see like external shot or anything of the right. sort, but it looks like a lush green planet from orbit, even in deep space nine. So at least we know that the Trill were protective of their environment, which is a good thing. Yeah. I think the only complaint that I have from a continuity perspective is, and don't get me wrong, but I believe in the episode uh, Past Tense Part 1, Jadzia remarks that the oceans didn't look purple enough. And in the establishing shot from space, they don't appear to be purple. So maybe sure. they just don't pollute their oceans anymore and they're blue now. Right. Well, even now here on, on Earth, we have we have waterways, lakes, seas, oceans, uh that are that are different colors. I mean, hell, there was a picture I saw of the, the where the um, Atlantic and Pacific Ocean meet, and they look like two distinct oceans in, in regards to their the color. It's not just distinction by name; it actually looked like two 
two different things. So, yeah, I could, Jed Z was wrong about the colors of the oceans on her. It could have been planet. seasonal, Dad. It could have been seasonal. Seasonal, yeah. yeah. The water just chromatically changes for the season. If the sky changes color, the water will too. <laughs> if the sky stops reflecting sunlight the right way, the density of the ozone will change the color of the water. Done. The, and the angle of the light changes. The, yeah, we can rationalize this. We can come up with a way. We can do this all day, man. <laughs> I understood I that reference. All day. Um, so we we drop down to the lush, lush planet of Trill. Look, this is what I'm talking about. That last scene here. Oh, look at those Holy flowers. Yeah. It so reminds are... me of the scene where like uh, Riker goes into the holodeck and finds Data oh, and counterpart point and the um <clears throat> and. It's like this. The scene is set for the audience. It's like a. It's almost like a a stage play, for me. Oh yeah. So and it's you're... like everything's facing the audience and presented for you. And it's very TNG to me. Very TNG. Like blue flowers, red flowers, yellow flowers, fluffy flowers, mm-hmm. lush plants, running water. It's very TNG. Yeah. If you are just listening to us, we have uh, a series of pictures that we're going through and we're t- currently talking about the lush uh, flora on Trill. Um, so yeah, uh, you can watch us on the YouTube video and uh, there'll be- You can you see know, our faces. Some, some imagery. Yeah. Um, so they go down to the planet. They meet the most fashionable ambassadors I've ever seen. Look at her dress. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that she's in this because I loved her in Schitt's Creek where she was Ronnie and now she, and they're very different characters than what she's playing here. I haven't seen that. Is it good? Uh, it's pretty good. It's pretty okay. good. The, the Worth a watch. Yeah. The humor, if you were really bothered by like cringe humor, like I can't watch this kind of scenes, it'll hit you hard because it hits me pretty hard that way. Like it's always sunny. Yeah, kind of a lot cringe. Of that. Yeah. Okay. Just stay tuned. As, I, I can't do that. I'm not like. <laughs> stay tuned for a future segment of our podcast called Beyond Shit. <laughs> Beyond the Creek. Uh, but yeah, so the actress in the middle, um, she plays this role very regal, very diplomatic, but with authority. Whereas mm-hmm. her character in Shit's Creek is like the town misanthrope who hates everyone. And it's, it's a funny okay. change of pace for it. Amazing. It's interesting to note here that she assumes the like superior leadership role when the, the guy in the yellow standing next to her was termed the commissioner. And we know that the symbiosis commission's leader was the commissioner of, you know, the Trill Symbiosis Commission, not necessarily the head of the, the, the planet. Correct. She's and probably so, like the prime minister or something, right, like right. the elected right. that, leader. That's what I'm getting here is that she's she is the leader in this area, if not a governor, then possibly planetary leader. Um, and I, I did like that segregation of roles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that it's pretty cool. Too. Or would, would, would it make like sense Pokemon, to... It's Pokemon, like red versus yellow. Well, would, her title was leader Pov, so... Would it make sense to think of her as like the Queen Elizabeth to the other dude's prime minister of, you know, Britain kind of thing? I like, think I would view her as like president. And then this commissioner guy is like the attorney general or something. Like okay. probably right. secretary, yeah. secretary yeah. of symbionts. Secretary gotcha. of okay. I like it. Fantastic. I like how there's like continuity between their different styles. Like the reds all have like their arms exposed and the yellows are like more conservative. And I think that kind of fits into like how they're supposed to be perceived. Like one's more modest and like conservative about like the 
uh, ongoings of what's their, their culture and the other, are like, let's help. We're like gonna, you know, rip the on. They're like the, the red, the red clad ones. Those are the, the guardians of the, the symbionts. They're the ones who go down to the pools. They tend yes. to the pools. They make yes. sure the symbionts are well they're working for. They're like, getting they're their arms in the water and the liquid. So yeah, they got, yeah. they have Total to have sense. no sleeves. Yeah. And, and these yellows are, um, administrative. They're, they're administrative diplomatic. I also love the fact that everybody on Trill wears a dress. Sign me up. Yeah. So <laughs> oh, comfy. Yeah. So comfy. So um the the conversation kind of ebbs and flows here. Um we also see a, like before we get there, we see a little fishy that starts flying. I thought that was really cute. Uh it's in like the koi pond. So they're really super surprised she's human. And the tone completely shifts when they learn about that. Mm-hmm. All she can remember, Adira can remember, is Senatal. Yeah. So and that's just because she knows the name, not yes, the memory. Not, not the memory, but she knows a vague, vague inclination of a name that she can go off of. Right. Lots of generalizations get thrown around about the Federation, about the trail, about what they stand for, about what the Federation stood for, about how the universe currently is and how these people are reacting to them. It's a very yellow versus red uh, in this situation. And the, um, I asked maybe Chancellor or President, she decides that she's going to be sent back. One of the really neat like cultural things that we get here, which I don't remember having seen in Deep Space Nine. I don't remember, but it's possible. It's been a long time since I've watched Equilibrium, but the whole like speak your names thing. Tell me the names of your past hosts, right? As like a show that you have connections to these people still. That's a really cool thematic thing. And it makes sense for the trill. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, and well, I want to call back to that later when Adira emerges from the pool. Um, they do something really cool there. Another one of the things that they establish here is they say in 2000 years, no non-trill pairing has ever succeeded. And one thing we do know is, you know, there was a Riker Odan thing that was temporary. And I sort of put that on the wayside as like, Mm -hmm. it's sort of an exception because we didn't get him with the symbiote for long term. Right. Um, But I believe what they're establishing there is that joining is only a 2000 year old process. Like they've only been doing this for two millennia. And I, I, I think that's important because, you know, really? they, I, I mean, unlo- like a short amount of time where they're at from that point in time. Well, if, if we, I mean, we could talk about this for a lot longer than we need to, but if we break it down in 2000 years, no non-human pairing or non-trill pairing has succeeded. Um, it either means one, 2000 years ago, there was a pairing that succeeded which is highly unlikely, right? Given, given that two thousand years ago would have been about Earth's fourteenth century, twelfth century ish. Yes. You know, if we're a thousand years in the future, then by Dax's time, it's only been about a thousand years for since they started doing the joinings, which means they've got pretty awesome tech in the beginning. Right. But I don't think they would have. They, I don't think they would have really encountered other civilizations to try and do joinings with if they're if the triller if they're so protective of the symbionts they wouldn't just allow a non-trill to to take a symbiont and 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 bond with it i'm trying to think i I can't think of anything in ds9 that would contradict what you're saying here in regards to the the 2000 year thing and i I really think that the these writers have have shown uh since the first season we are we are seeing that there's definitely some more care in continuity and canon 
uh, as, as opposed to first season of discovery, where it was just like, fuck it, we're going to do whatever we want, um, uh, kind of thing. So I, I'm, I'm going to say that I will, um, I'm, I'm going to give the writers the benefit of the doubt that they are pretty sure, pretty positive that they can say 2000 years and that that is correct now. Oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that there, there were no, um, did the, 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 the little things, the, the, the official term from, are they, are they symbionts? Have they been given any other, like, okay. Um, so not, I'm not an alpha cannon. Okay. Not now. Okay. So the, 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 the symbionts, I'm sure they've been around probably just as long as the, the, the bipedal two arms, two legs the trill. It's just the, and there was probably some means of communication and, and telepathy or, or whatever in that the actual physical host symbiont relationship joining didn't start until 2000 years or so ago. I, I, I don't disagree with that. I'm definitely sure they coexisted for a while and the trill before the joining may have meandered into the caves. They may have gotten into the pools and the electrical shocks might have produced some kind of communication. Mm. My other thought is that some dude came in, hopped up on these ridiculously beautiful shrooms and was yeah. like, hey, if I put a worm in my belly, what happens? <laughs> well, yeah, someone has to be the pioneer. I mean, can you imagine how many uh, uh, attempts that someone went through to find out that horses were the animals you could ride i mean who go looks at lion okay. and be like yeah you know what i can probably ride that and it ends in disaster like hey a nice pool let me swim in it and the symbionts dropped them down into whatever ether they sent the two in this episode Dirty, yeah. and communicated with him like hey this is how you should fucking you should cut yourself open and put us in there do you trust us like <laughs> yeah we got a good uh, idea man <laughs> like like uh like and they were like god that was a weird dream or that was a bad trip or that was not real, but no, you know, they made it real and they made it happen. And, and here we are today. Here's how I imagine it happened. Somebody stumbled in there, wounded, fell into the pools. Yes. And the symbiont was it. like, Hey, I can help it. I can help this out or something. Yes. Like okay. someone had a belly injury and they took yeah. them in there and the symbiont like latched on, sure. but does, sure. it doesn't have to be a medical. Thing. Sure. Could have been out of necessity. No, no, I don't what I'm know. Some... He was just wandering around, got wounded, stumbled into the cave, and fell into the pool. Like they didn't mm -hmm. do that intentionally. He just mm -hmm. stumbled in and fell. Mm -hmm. That's my thought. That's probably mm -hmm. not what happened. Mm -hmm. Renzo, were you gonna? Do you have yeah, to add on to that? So, basing off of like Beta Cannon, it looks like yeah, they've got a couple of, couple millennia worth of experience doing this, which is all cool and all. But think of it this way, right? We know that the age of symbionts is somewhere between like six hundred years and like a thousand years, right? So in the entire process of the joining, we've only been through two, maybe three generations of symbionts doing this. So for them, this has also been a huge change as well. They've only been doing it for far less time than from the humanoid perspective. So for them, this is probably very still new process for them. We also know that by Deep Space Nine's time, there were only like 500 symbionts being uh, joined with Trill Host right at that point. So their numbers are still very small. And if they're people who, or if they're beings that have like a wanderlust to them, the point that they make here about the burn having decimated their numbers makes perfect sense. If you have like a lifespan and you want to go explore and Starfleet or other similar ways are yeah. on your, 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 your way to do so, then yeah, they're going to all be in space and they're going to die in droves. So it makes sense that they're super protective of the symbiotes they have. It seems strange though, that they wouldn't be willing to try things to try and get the memories of this symbiote back somehow. 
Well, I think that they just viewed it as like an aberration. Yeah, yeah like they're just... they're like shit. We've been alone for nine hundred years now. Yeah, maybe no, no, like a hundred, two hundred years. Right, has been the burn. Yeah, about one hundred twenty. So it's really not that long of a time, like especially not for a symbiont. Right. Yeah, they but, live like uh, like hundreds uh, and hundreds and hundreds of years. So the loss, the loss of that accumulated knowledge, combined mm-hmm. with the. Um, the guardian statement that the civilization is on the verge of collapse. He says that makes me think that um, Trill pulled sort of a, a xenophobia thing. Like Earth, yep. we have to take care of ourselves and we have mm-hmm. this person here who might have a symbiont, but is human and we're not going to lose our morality and say, we're going to kill this person and take the symbiont out, but we're going to kick you off our planet because it's more important for us to preserve our culture as is because it's so threatened right now than to allow you to not just pollute it being who you are, but to exploit the secret that we've been trying to keep, which is most of our population can be joined. And if that's a secret that gets out, then the symbionts might turn into a commodity, which is what they feared in equilibrium. Yeah, but in the federation, yeah, but in the previous federation, they wouldn't have had to worry about people co-opting their symbionts because that was part of like the peace, like it was culturally respected. Yeah, but now, yeah, I don't know how many are left. Trill's decision would have been protected by the Prime Directive because it's a planetary internal matter. Mm -hmm. Right, but the Trill are not members of the Federation anymore, so that's. Yep. Were, so, was Trill uh, ever a member of the Federation? Yes. They were. Yes. You mm-hmm. sure about mm-hmm. that? Positive. Why don't you correct us if we're wrong? Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, there, you tell there, us there, we're wrong. There, there, there isn't any real establishment that Trill is a Federation member in 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 the shows. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, given that's that, been a question that has sort of lingered. Um, we can make the assumption, sure, uh, but. The, th- yeah. the thing is, though, that I, I get it right. You're uh, a dag. You're right. In the shows, I don't I don't recall that there was ever a very explicit statement of of that. But we have the luxury of the 900 some years in between that all kinds of things could have happened. All kinds of members could have joined or left the Federation. So um, they, they've. And, and that's, I, th- I think, what is great about having the show jump to the future instead of being another prequel where, where you're locked in the canon is that questions like that, you, know, you can say, well, wait a minute. They, they said they're not members of the Federation. Were they ever? We don't have a, a, a solid mission in DS9, but yet that's been 800, 900 years ago. So, you know, they're, um, they're, there Memory you go. Alpha says that they were admitted into the Federation in 2285. Yeah, see, I, th- uh, I thought they were, which is the same year that Wrath of Khan took place. But yeah, it's so, fairly yeah. vague, and I think that's kind of how the Federation works. It's like, oh, yeah, Beta Z. Yep, Federation. Yep, yep. <laughs> it doesn't change anything other than you get, like, access to all of this other right. shit. Like, right. you still keep your government, you still keep your culture, you still keep all that, but you, like, you know, it's peace. It's yeah. like where a, you, the core. Uh, we're going to have to take this offline, maybe, but I don't... In memory alpha, uh, I'm looking at it says it's unclear if Trill was a member of the Federation. Uh, I'm looking at memory alpha trill parentheses planet search for the word federation and it's down like um in the apocrypha or something I don't know oh the apocrypha yeah 
Yeah, that is based that's beta on, canon. That's yeah. based on the Star Trek encyclopedia. Okay. So maybe not super clear, but I think it makes sense that they are Ooh. because there's how many how many worlds in the Federation? There's like 150 member worlds, but who knows how many like additional associate members and such we've seen. Mm -hmm. I wonder if there's like tiers. Probably. Membership. Well, remember, there's the, like a gym. the protectorate. There's the protectorate that they had in Insurrection. I can't remember what they were called. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. Well, you do have to like change certain things about yourself a little bit to be in the Federation. Like you can't have ever like enslaved or can't be currently enslaving people or something like right. that. Um, okay. So where are we at? Uh, we're, so we're Burnham, at Burnham and um, Adira are like, I guess we got to go. But they're like looking for the, uh, they're looking for the pools anyway, and the. I yellow think they're being pool. escorted out, is what's happening before before Burnham like shoots them. To, yeah, like, that's to the, to the not pools. very Starfleet moment of you, but well, she just doesn't hesitate. And... She's like, yeah, sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not gonna help us. Bye. Like, I'll just stun you. It wasn't just uh, that they were gonna take the symbiote, weren't they? They were gonna right, take yeah. the Madeira. So yeah, they, gonna... they were they were ordered to leave, and the and the guy, the the administrator guy, you know, the uh, uh, the secretary of symbiosis, whatever you want to call him, led them to a confrontation with these these two guys that have these right. the pain stick looking things, and and you said that uh, Burnham just you know shooting the guy that tell us where the cave is. No, okay, fine. Sure, not very Starfleet, but, uh, <laughs> but again, it's been a year for her. Right, right. That's what I'm saying. Is like she's not entirely back in Starfleet. The year yet. she lived was probably like 2020 has been for us. It changes you. Yes, right. God, it, does it, it ever? There is gray hairs now. Yeah, yes, you can hold on to those the Starfleet ideals, but the thing is that we are back in the Wild West style of living. There is a time and place for diplomacy. That wasn't it. So yeah, I absolutely agree. I think she made the right call. Yes. Starfleet, like as George Giorgio showed us early on in this season, in the bar scene, which that was like such a classic bar scene. They walk in, the guy's like polishing the table. Like it was, it was mm -hmm. great. Um, he might as well have been like polishing a glass. Yeah. <laughs> um uh, we Giorgio showed us that this is a harsh future. Like mm -hmm. this is a harsh reality. Your Starfleet, sure, you can keep your overarching like values, but you're gonna have to compromise. Like you're you're gonna have to make choices that don't completely align uh, in order to survive. And yes. she's kind of the queen of doing that. Like she's totally at home. She's thriving in this yeah. future. Anyway, so Burnham is like. <laughs> there. he's like oh god and because she has all these like former starfleet officers like inside of her like yeah like, like oh shit they're all reacting simultaneously think, let's like, be real though saying. if this had been like wharf escorting wesley or something i don't think it would have gone any different if this had been uh kira escorting uh o'brien somewhere it wouldn't have gone any differently if it had been yeah. Dax doing, i don't think any security officer would have traded this situation any differently oh you're not going to tell us where things are zap okay we'll find it ourselves yeah, yeah you're right. you hurt me so I I right. you go i thought that she um actually killed him oh no like no, no, no. i didn't realize it was on like maximum stun, stun. Yeah. yeah um 
<laughs> so yeah, I thought she really just straight lucky. up like happed him. I was like, well, oh if, my God. Bert. If she had killed him, then what did you think when he came back later? He was a ghost? Well, I obviously realized that she didn't kill him. Though. Oh, yeah. That's right. kind of how bad. the logic goes. <laughs> um, Whoops. I thought I had to do So the, the Red Guardians come with their muscles and they're like, we'll take you to the pools. Um, <laughs> I love that the Trill don't have ranged weapons here. I just brought sticks. <laughs> it actually bugs me. The fact that in a thousand years, their technology has advanced very minimally, right? Like they don't have personal shields. They 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 sent real people to do this, not holograms. Like could have done some stuff for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what's going on with the Borg? Uh, <laughs> oh God, is that a forbidden topic around Wait a here? minute. Did you oh, guys no, get into not. this? No, Dag knows something. When he, when I, I can tell by his body language, he knows something. That we're we're about to step on some forbidden I'm, fruit. I'm there. sus. I'm sus, but I'm not the imposter. I'm sorry. You're, okay. I don't you're know all anything. sus right now. Let's okay. talk about the work. Um, <laughs> how deep that could go? That rabbit hole. If you bring it up, though. Yeah. Why don't we just? Put that to the side yeah, as okay. a side of like, <laughs> yep. how about we have that for dessert later? Um, so red guys come, they help him out, take me to the pool. We jump to Saru. Love this scene. Yeah. Love this scene. This was so dope. I was like, what's the computer doing? Why is it doing that? And then like later on, we find out why, but yes. he's totally just along with it. Like he doesn't feel threatened. He's basically asking the computer for like, how do I make the crew feel connected? Because he's a Kelpian. And like, I guess it's like, he doesn't he's not fully like the emotional intelligence may not Computer. be like, entirely there what can we do for fun around here uh, yeah but i'm like i've seen saru be very emotionally intelligent and be very like open and like with his feelings so it's very interesting to me that he's asking the ai for advice here well the harai since Vaharai, he think he's been a bit more stone cold stunner kind of guy yeah yeah so I he's, think a you're bit, right. he's a bit more badass so maybe he's just stone not cold stunner <laughs> Mm-hmm. But yeah, point is the fact that the the red sphere flashes on the screen on the computer behind him, and then he, the computer starts being a bit more like uh, Zara from Calypso was real cool to me. Like that, if that's how the computer gets sentience, if that's how the thing like mm-hmm. gets intelligent, and gets cool, and we get dancing scenes in a holodeck, like that's awesome. I like it. This is a cool way to take it. Well, I only wish that Trisha Helfer was the voice. Oh God, don't, yeah, yeah. Don't give me hope like that. That would have been great. Um, and I, I just binged Lucifer and she was, she was great, man. I, I love me some Trisha Helfer. So, uh, here's what I was going, going to say in response to, well, why would he ask the AI about, uh, fun activities to do with, with humans? It's, it's because regardless of, how how friendly or, or or sociable Saru may have become uh, uh, recently. The fact of the matter is, is that in the last in the last couple of years, there has been no time to even think about uh, socializing, doing anything like that. They they've pretty much been running full tilt mm-hmm. uh, for for a couple of years straight now before they even got to the future. Um, and then the other thing is is that he's a Kelpian. Uh, he is not familiar enough with, with, with human custom to know what do they do for fun. He may know what Kelpians do to, to relate in the Take bond and the get together. Right. I mean, there's, there's no telling what, what they do to relax and unwind. And what he's doing here is, is that, well, I don't know. I need to ask somebody. I'll ask the computer, you know, maybe, maybe the computer will know because the computer has databases and, and knowledge and will have yeah. those we'll get to the uh, bottom suggestions. of it somehow, this but this will help yeah. me. 
Yeah. This is one of those things where the crew around him is where he should be leading to, right? Like if Burnham was on the ship, the the exo was supposed to be like the bridge between the connection between the captain and the crew. Yes. Right? So if she were here and she's human, she'd be able to be like, well, let's do this. Let's try this. Let's have fun doing this. But she's we off know on some mission cool on the right. She's not there. Like she's been in the universe a year. She's been in the time frame a year. So she knows like all the cool spots. Yeah. like go yeah. chill maybe so, she knows the party planet down the road the party planet exactly like what's the new Raisa? am i right well moment here <laughs> from, a, from a from a technical and continuity standpoint um the computer voice sort of and then you you hear the sound of that sounds like a plural voice it's yes. very mm-hmm. cool yeah. and what they did was they they took the actress who does the regular discovery computer voice and they overlaid it with the actress who did Zora's voice from the short Trek, and they put them together. So we're seeing this, this transition from Discovery becoming Zora, which was the, the personality of Discovery. Mm-hmm. So, um, I and I thought that, that was really track. cool that they brought Annabelle Wallace in to do that. Oh, What's the name Watney. of it? Calypso. The short Trek's called Calypso. Yeah. Okay, Calypso. I'll check it out. <clears throat> okay. Cool. It should be we like love a, a tieback. It it it's weird. It this whole season might contradict the continuity of Calypso, or it might establish it. It's still not very clear. That's a good short. You're gonna love it either way. It's it's yeah. a really awesome connecting short. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So yeah, Saru uh, is like, all right, well we'll we'll try a dinner. A dinner. We'll try and a dinner. Send the crew off to do like a day off. We'll give them the afternoon off. Yep. Give them the afternoon off. <laughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we go back down to the troll pools. The red guardian is like basically doing the equivalent of dipping your finger in the holy water and curse like, uh, what's it called? Yeah, you're genuflecting. right. That, no, genuflecting is when you kneel. I'm not Catholic. So I don't know. I was well, I was raised Catholic, so I should probably know that. But anyway, he does the thing where you like dip your finger in the holy water and like cross yourself. So right. They go down into the beautiful caves of Makala and we see the glowy trill pools. And once again, very, very beautiful setting. Uh, it's their ancestral home. We can see them kind of like swimming around. And uh, these are like the most ancient trill symbionts, I would think, if they're in the pool. From mm-hmm. a setting standpoint, this also is a really good callback to the Equilibrium episode. It looks mm-hmm. a lot like the caves that they use there. Mm-hmm. The colors are a bit bluer, whereas the ones in DSN are a bit redder like the lighting, but otherwise dead on, love it. Well, and he called them the Caves of Makala, which is exactly where they went in that episode. So this is really cool. Jadzia Dax made a bend here 900 years ago. It's great. Yep. Yeah, we. I, that's like a great callback for, for Trekkies who love DS9. So um, he's like, you're going to get in here and like, hopefully they'll call to you. It's their ancestral home. And she's like, this feels totally safe in here. I love it. So she goes to change and she's like all giddy. She's like super excited. It's not my style, but yeah. And Burnham's like, I'm just here to hang out and make sure you're, you're fine. And she's kind of disconnected in this episode. She's just, I, she's just like the uniform feels a little too tight now, you know, what I got from the guardian was a very strong reverence for the symbiont and what it stood for here. He Mm -hmm. was willing to disregard that it could be, you know, that it could be implanted into a human. He was very much about, I want the memories. I want to honor the symbionts like I have been trained to do my whole life, like generations of people have been trained to do mm-hmm. since we started bonding. So I really loved that 
the, just the way that he spoke and, and his body language, it did convey a very strong reverence for that dynamic in their society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it establishes that, you know, the the highest order of respect towards the symbionts, even if he may have never actually interacted with one, who knows? There may be so few left that he's never even seen one. We just don't know. Mm-hmm. But the reverence is there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really a wonderful scene for trill fans like it's it's like just gag candy um we hop back up to discovery in the conference room um where there is a amazing of course star trek food it always looks insane uh the dinner looks so delicious and everyone's Mm. like okay this is so this is this is weird even though it's a very normal thing to like get together with your bridge crew i would think and like have dinners like this and connect with them like this. I don't think that they do this ever. I wish well, Jet would have been there. What seven years before he did like a poker game with his crew, and yeah, yeah it, it's possible that in Starfleet captains do pre- present some sort of like professional boundary for most of them. Mm-hmm. Unless you well, want to play your flute in the Jeffries tube with that one <laughs> science officer that one time. Well, then the the, the thing is, is that um, you're talking about very different kind of characters because Kirk would have, would have been known to do something like that. Uh, I don't recall ever actually seeing something like that, but he would definitely be the kind of person that would do that. Um, Picard was kind of more of a, more of an administrator kind of guy. You're right. He did not have the kind of relation to his, um, his officers, the, the way, the way Kirk did. Uh, and, and you're right. It took, it took Picard seven years on that ship to, loosen up enough to join them for, you know, on a, on a card game. Uh, Cisco was, was very much a, would um, uh, do something like that with, with his officers. Uh, and so did Archer, you know, Archer had regular meals with, with Trip and, and with DePole. Uh, so That's I not think the whole crew either, right? Like we never see him do that with, with, with everyone. We never see him do it with Mary. With um, Mayweather. He did it. He, he did with, um uh, with with reed with with malcolm reed or no or no was that was that trip was it was was archer it gone and, sure. and, and trip tried to do no no i think it was uh, uh archer tried to have i remember seeing i remember seeing with a dinner scene there were more people there and, and reed was there and he was just all about talking shop talking business and i can't remember if it was uh it was trip it was trip yep I, I can't remember the circumstance that, that he was, but I, re, I remember seeing, I could picture in my head, he kept trying to eat and someone kept kept talking and he was like, had this look of, dude, seriously, we're just trying to have dinner. And I, so, so yeah, it, it, and basically I don't want to, you know, get, get too off track is that I really think it depends on who that commanding officer is. If it's the kind of person that just has that mentality of, um, I, I want to have that connection with, with my staff, you'll get that. Yes. Yeah, so it's, Pike it's not, was absolutely yeah, Pike okay. was like that. So it's not so much a, a Starfleet thing. It's not so much a, uh, you know, a captain by role does this. It's the person. Picard sure. is just a, an exception. Ask, so is Janeway though. I can't imagine Janeway having everybody over for dinner either. Really? Mm-mm. I think Janeway's like one-to-one, but like on a, yeah. in a group, no. Like she was super, super close with Cass. Right. And then, 
like and seven Tuvok. And, yeah. She and also had dinners with Chicote. And Chicote. Yeah. You know, very one-on-one captain, but like I think in a group she'd probably feel like I can't not command, you know, I can't not okay. be in, be in a command. State. I don't know. Great this thought. Dinner, great thought though. This dinner started out so well. Mm-hmm. Uh, just in talking about the, the food and some of the experiences. And then Giorgio just drops a haiku in the middle of it. And then Tilly's trying to do it too. And you're just like, yay, they're doing a thing. And then, yeah, I did get a, a lot of tension from, at the beginning from Tilly and Stamets, who have been at each other's throats a little bit. Tilly's very passive, so she's probably like, eh, like she doesn't. She becomes unpassive later, but like at the start of conflict, she's very like, okay, why don't you go ahead and say what you got to say? And then she's like, do you guys think? And then they start like haikuing and then it turns into like a weird PTSD thing with Kayla, and yeah. she's like kind of freaking out about like everything that's happened um and stamets is like they go at it and everyone's just like well this This is is and i've been at dinners before where like a couple is like like fighting in front of everybody (laughs) and it's like they're like under their breath and i'm just like he worked really hard on this like roast and you're gonna do this (laughs) like (laughs) that's expensive meat this is this is thanksgiving dinner right here we're not quite too Detmer's moment in our oh yeah we're we're ahead we're yeah. we're thinking of the scene as a whole but it does get, yeah. go back and forth pretty pretty quickly so anyway yeah. they go like they go to dinner Saru gives a little speech Giorgio's thriving clearly they say a cheers we cut back to Trill mm-hmm. yeah. Adira enters in a new outfit beautiful which looks uh, very much like what Jedzia wore yes. in Equilibrium yes a white uh, gown we get in the pool. Uh, I like that Adira also says it's not really my style. That's just little little note there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we get in the pool and Adira's eyes go white. We are now in communion. There's like this little device that monitors like the brain levels. Isoboramine. Yeah. It's super awesome. Like this was very ritualistic to me and I just adored every second of it. Mm-hmm. And the isoboramine yeah. is still a callback from the troll connection thing. It's it's what maintains their uh, connection with their symbiote. Huh. Interesting. This very much comes off as like a ritual, a cultural ritual, or maybe even potentially like something that evolved from a religious ritual rather than something scientific. This isn't like a, a medical lab where we perform the joinings. No, this is like, this is a holy communion sort of situation. Like mm-hmm. Juan was saying, I'm yeah. with you. I liked about it. Mm-hmm. Um, eyes go white and we begin the process. We hit cut back to dinner and um what Tilly and Sam at each other's hut. Yeah, what is the beetle pie or something he says? So some kind of beetle pie or yeah, I, pie. I okay. okay. Yeah. Uh Tilly admits that she puked on the Tellerite ambassador at Thanksgiving in one a, time. In, in a haiku. In a haiku. Right. Yeah. She's very intelligent. She's very smart. Shit goes south. Giorgio yeah. obviously pokes holes in everyone's demeanor as she always does. That's like mm-hmm. her thing. Um, yes. But I, by the end of this scene, I thought like, you know, this is a crucial part of therapy. It's being able to get out those thoughts. This may not have work. been the best yeah. way to do it, but they got it out into the open. And Giorgio, being a Terran emperor, is going to constantly remind people of their weaknesses, but not in the way that you're inferior to me, in a way that that it means 
you you need to do better. You need to work on this. Now she's she might be direct and unempathetic about the way that she does it. But over the course of last season and this season, if, if Georgia wanted to kill any of these people, she could and she would have. But she's here it doesn't and she's serve working her this out. To right. do that. Like she's right. she's very resource driven. Um but, she but has she a violent has, tendencies. She also has like a low threshold of okay, stop whining. Your problems are this, 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 and this. Deal with it. She straight yes. up admits that like her mother and her relationship was horrible, and that's probably what causes a lot of her Hitler tendencies like down the road. <laughs> like there was a point in last season before they like jump, and she's like uh Samus is like it takes a it would be very difficult to find a supernova to get the energy need for this because um they're very rare and she's like just take an antimatter missile and fire it into the core of a star and Saru's <laughs> like you would be res- we would be responsible for the death of everyone in this system and she's like yeah <laughs> and Saru's like and <laughs> talking about somebody who who nuked Kronos without a second thought yes absolutely and, and, and that kind of gets like whatever like that i don't really <laughs> care about we, that we she literally is, she yeah. is worse than than hitler like she literally is worse than hitler oh yeah um i mean but it, anybody that was sentient was and she's not know. apologetic about it at all no remorse she's nope. she's, a vis- she's like a viper in with a bunch of like little sparrows and she's a delight to have in scenes as a result because yeah. she's so <laughs> different Snake, from yes, everything I, I else her. we see yeah i love you know, her <laughs> if, if i could just take this moment to tangent a little bit every series has had that character that reflects humanity from a different perspective we had spock we had data we had odo we had Tapal, we had seven of nine and Kes and the doctor, and, yeah. mm-hmm. and, the doctor. and everybody a lot of people have asked who's that character in in discovery and it's george o. yes it's it's the empress george o. Mm-hmm. she absolutely flips everything back on you in a way that's like i didn't think about that before but that's mean (laughs) this this scene was was lacking uh unfortunately jet reno again second episode in a row that we haven't seen her and this would have been a perfect opportunity to have her there and it's a it's a shame yeah i don't know what's you know what was on what was going on with uh uh uh, tig schedule when they were filming Mm -hmm. uh but well, I, she's I, not a regular. She's still a guest star, right? But I mean, she actually likes it that way. Every everyone we know on that ship is sitting at this table, except her. You, you've even got the uh, what, what, what? Well, obviously because she was down on the planet. I just mean she's part of a bridge for she's right, number one. Right. I, I I just mean that besides besides Burnham, obviously, everyone else that we've we've known as recurring characters here, Doctor Pollard isn't there. God damn it, Renda. You know, I'm just going to, all right, I'm just going to sit here. Um, so on the topic, <laughs> you're right. Topic of Georgia, <laughs> you got me on I, that one. But I know what you're getting at, and I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. I love that she, she wears black all the time, which mm-hmm. she looks fantastic in. And it's That's a callback to Tomorrow face. Never Dies, where she played a Bond girl and she wore black like the entire movie. Oh, yeah. She yes, wears like true. black cat suits in like the James Bond movie so now what so, is up with detmer i mean what what is her it's attitude it's just it's ptsd for sure it's My yeah. one criticism of the scene though is actually the writing the writing feels a little bit stilted it feels a little bit like they 
it doesn't feel natural. It doesn't rush some of this. Yeah. It, it just doesn't work for me almost not. It's a great scene, but the dialogue is what holds it from being an amazing scene. Well, no, I, I, I have gotten somebody like Aaron Sorkin to write this scene. Cause then it would have been faster. <laughs> quicker, and, better. and we'd have no special effects into the budget. Right. I've got, I've, I, no, I got the whole PTSD thing. I, I, I get that. What I, what I don't get was they, there seemed to be a lot of attention uh, placed towards her having some, problem immediately after getting there that seemed to be a physical injury uh that 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 happened to to her head maybe to her to her implant yes. it seemed like we were really being prepped to think that um the the actual physical impact of um, of, of hitting that planet being flipped over your console and having an injury w was going to play into something and so i don't i don't know if is that supposed to connect to the reasons of why, you know, why she's yeah. acting the way she is now. Yes. Head injuries are very traumatic, not just to the physical brain, but uh -huh. you feel, you believe you're going to die. And that's a very, very, very traumatic situation to be in. And not just the fear of death in your face, your head is like cracked you're injured. That's like where your brain is. So it's like, of course you guys know that. Why am I saying that? Um, it's like, <laughs> it's the most, Thank it's you like, for us. it's your, it's like your pilot. And so for her to have her brain injured and a head injury, she mm -hmm. didn't have a concussion, but at the same time, it's like with a lot of head injury stories that I hear, you feel you, if you feel like it's worse than it is because it's like literally your head. So well, this is her second Injury. Yes. Yes. And so yeah. I, I think the fear of death combined with all the shit that she saw in that time frame, while discovery was like in the battle going through the wormhole that has like completely impacted her. Like, right. Cause she had the, the, she got the head injury during the uh, battle uh, at the binary stars, which is the reason why she has this implant and this different eyes. So, you know, during, during that battle, she, she lost an eye had, had some injury that, uh, necessitated now this implant. So she's dealing with that, coping with that. And now she's had another thing happen. So, okay. Uh, okay. Um, I would say that she had a minor psychotic break. Okay. Yeah, period for sure. You know, and, yeah. and given that, that Culber sets the stage for that at the beginning by saying that their cortisol levels are off the charts, uh -huh. it, it makes sense to have somebody have that moment. Okay. Um, and, and it happens here. And from a therapy perspective, I think that it was good that it got out. I don't think it was the best way to have the conversation. Um, but it is one of those things where the, the problem needs to be out in the open so that we can all address it and, and say move what we through, need to say. Okay. Like forward, move right? through it, let your yeah. fear and your, and your issues move past you. And as right. I say in Dune, after that, only you will remain. Okay, sorry, that's okay. Um, why don't you just say big ships? Big J, just get get back on pace. <laughs> no, ships need counselors. That's what a lot of the things yes. that, that we've seen this season and last season tell us. It's like mm -hmm. you need one. You know, I get it. Kirk was a badass, and he didn't need one on his ship. Fine, I don't care. Most ships need a counselor because people take damage internally. There's well so many things in space that can fuck you up. Like not to mention the external forces, but just the idea of being isolated out in the middle of nowhere, like on a five-year mission, duh, yep. like it's going to mess you up. You, and, and, and honestly on earth presently in this year, 
everyone could use some therapy. Oh, so, yeah. 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 Um, so let's keep moving. Mm-hmm. Everyone's too stressed uh, for for dinner to make it like help. It's and it like, just falls apart. It's going. It's falling apart. Everyone leaves. Giorgio's like, well, at least there was wine. But so then we cut to the trail pools <laughs> again. Um, Adira sinks. The yellow guys come in and they're like, "What are you doing? We told you not to do this." But she's gone. Burnham gets into the pool and she's like, "She's not here." I did so, wonder why Burnham was selected to do this and not and somebody who might have been more experienced. I think of the those guys brought of the all of their baggage brought all of their trill like cultural you can't mm-hmm. get in here unless you're a host shit like into the pools and so they were like go ahead burnham and plus she knows her she's not going to feel threatened by burnham as I, much I, so i think they're in the uh, uh, the arena of uh, we're off the script it's time to improvise and you know For if, sure. if if, yeah. if you believe you know what you're doing you know this person just go you know get, yeah. get in we don't have time to screw around and yeah. and debate it is lost in the sauce so <laughs> yeah. um, Burnham goes in to guide her out. She sinks and drops downwards, then upwards. It's kind of a cool like effect. Uh, she's, mm-hmm. she's tripping out. She's like, what the hell are these things around me? She's calling for Adira and um, they, they figure out they're inside the symbiont. They're like in, they're mentally they're inside the symbiont, right. maybe even physically too, but she has to let them connect. Adira is like hesitant to let them touch her, but that's how they like, commune is via touch in this way and it's like super pretty it's a beautiful scene mm-hmm. um and we kind of like go into the memories of adira here and we find out that her boyfriend was a trill and um he died and there was an emergency transfer basically into adira in order to save mm-hmm. the life of the symbiont which was like a very beautiful thing for her to do. They were on a generational um, ship. Um, mm-hmm. and, and yeah. Yeah. You guys can go into the whole memory thing. Cause that it was a little confusing, I think for me on how the memories were. They're together. just, so the, the scene where we see like the things connecting down, it's just like a metaphor, right? It's like a, it's like a, it's what your, con- it's what your psyche constructs it to be like, right? This yes. isn't physically what's happening. They're not actually standing on water, having tubes connect to them, but mm-hmm. When those things are connecting, it's a metaphor for like probably acceptance. physically yeah. like acceptance of memories from the the symbiont within her, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that the symbiont is touching physically her neural cord and her spine, right? Like there's probably mm-hmm. actual things touching it. And yeah. this is like her accepting that those connections are valid. And mm-hmm. so those memories start flooding in. Um, it's, and it's it's beautifully shot. You're right. It's well, really cool how they did it. I, yeah. I took it as literal because... Burnham is there. Yeah, well, it, not not just so much because Burnham was there, but because Adira literally vanished from the pool, and so did Burnham. So they went somewhere that their their physical bodies are not in that pool. They they are gone somewhere. So I I, I get I get the figurative visuals of of what's happening and how it's being shown here. But it's I magic. It's right, magic. I do I I do think that it it was somehow or another was actually physically happening just because of you know the um of the circumstance there but yeah. and, you know don't don't have to spend too much time on get us off track about the no, uh, you know, literal this... or figurative thing but and unfortunately oh, well this, it's it's great for us to dive into it because that's what we do well and i i kind of agreed with i was on renzo's idea there that they were i think there's two camps the here. Of, they were at the bottom of the pool maybe being sustained by the symbionts while connected in their mind uh okay so 
great insights. Love it. I think there's two camps. Me and Big J yep. think it was like a physical thing, and Doug and Renzo are on the uh, are on the more metaphor matrix side of things. <laughs> um, so we we see the memories like come flooding back. It's very beautiful. Um, they get to see each other again. They see these memories. It's like the it's like with when you're a trill and you have a symbiote and you're a host. Time is kind of wonky. It seems because yes. you're going back in time. You're in the memories. It's like time is a little more fluid, I think, for Trill. So the I think the message here with this very powerful scene between these partners is power of love. Um, love will get you through. Um, Adira loved uh, her boyfriend so much. Mm-hmm. What was her boyfriend's name? Gray. Watch was Gray. Yeah, Gray. What a cool name. First name's Gray. Last name Paul. Well, okay, got sorry. the name tall when he <laughs> yeah. got the, yeah. Great tall, great tall. You're right, you're right. Because like we go through the name thing. So mm-hmm. um, we go through the rest of the the vital memories to kind of get a lay of the land of what happened. And then we see all of the other hosts come say hello. It's awesome. Uh, right. And, and the, so what, what happened was the, the whole reason she ended up getting the uh, the symbionts is because this big rock hits their, hits their ship and gray is critically wounded mm-hmm. um so this this medical droid comes in yes. and is, is basically nothing we can do here like look critical condition here if we get the symbiont out now the symbiont will survive and uh so the adira had to make a, a very tough very like we don't have time to talk about it kind of decision i know i love you i'm gonna do whatever i yes. have to for you R- yeah. right right th- th- this is very much a probably not going to work but it's the only option we have scenario so we've, we've got to try this and so she the gets devotion the, between those two characters oh yeah together very well it it, it did mm-hmm. it did mm-hmm. and then we got to see you're right we got to see the, the other the other previous uh, hosts drop in and I really liked, uh, you know, because I'm a meat and potatoes kind of guy, I really like seeing the different uniforms yes. depicted over some of the time Jimmy periods Charles. in the last 900 years. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, especially the Picard style uniform, uh, which was, that's as far back as the, as the hosts went was, was Picard. It would have been kind of neat if we had seen maybe a, uh, a TNG or DS9 or Voyager, but I'm, I'm okay with that. It, it's, there's no reason to think that, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's a that, very old trill, right? This is still a very old trill, even by showing a, a Picard uniform, because that, that is around the, um, that's uh, 800 years ago for them. Right. Yeah. Right. Correct. Very old, but yes. And, and uh, not all of these are Starfleet. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Okay. Well, they were all I, Federation. I were all Federation. Federation. Federation, fine. But I would I would wager that of of the people present, only three of them were have yeah. have pips and a combat. You're very true. Um, yeah, very right. The, there's one who's wearing like a blue sort of wraparound shirt that mm-hmm. is maybe diplomatic or even um, it's the blue division and trill hierarchy we've seen red mm-hmm. we've seen yellow now there's blue mm-hmm. there's also somebody here who's wearing a white gown with what appears to be like a diplomatic shawl or cowl or or, yes. or, or cloak or something reminds I me of princess it. organa for a second um She's so in the in the one and the one there to the uh, to the right of the the one wearing wearing the white i i got very much like a motion picture slash discovery yeah. mesh Kind well, of kind of vibe the, out of that. She's got the diamond pips that we're gonna see later in the series. Okay, um, and 
and and she has a different style combat that is very much like the ones that have been promoted for the 32nd century federation absolutely okay. gorgeous yeah Just it's a gorgeous. great uniform and of course uh senatal who look at just, him oh, he's so happy yeah. i want that uniform <laughs> yeah he looks dope dude and he's thrilled that this yeah. is happening he's so he's, happy he's got that smile on his face that's like that that grandpa that is so excited for yes. that that accomplishment that you just did he's got your mm-hmm. back your whole life it's gonna very be- earnest borgnine kind of kind of smile yeah. to him yeah, for sure. So um, you know me, I need all these com badges. I need all these rank pips. I need this uniform. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we um, get to meet all of the hosts and Gray once again. It's a lo- it's a very lovely reunion for the two. And um, they say hello and then they say goodbye. So now I believe that Adira has access to all of their memories and kind of gets to see like uh, and know who they are. Um, and Adira will be just as critical of a part of discovery as Stamets at this point, because Adira will have all of the historical knowledge of the timeline that they missed out on pretty much. So, um, we, we once again, rise up to the trail pools and Adira decides to stay on the discovery. Um, and there's hope for trail to join the Federation 2.0 in the future or 1.5, however you want to think about it. Um, when they get out of the pools. You yeah, first. I know Dag wanted to touch on something yeah. here. Okay. Uh, it's just when when she steps out of the pool and, you know, he says, tell me your names, and she tells them her names. One, the the insecurity that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode that, that she had, it's gone. She is, she is serene and confident, and she knows who she is here. They know who they are here. Um, and I think that's really, really cool. But then after they say their names, um, the trill do this sort of ritual thing. And it almost sounds like they are uh, chanting the Jantara ritual, uh, which I thought was really cool. If you haven't seen the DS9 episode Facets, uh, that's where Jedzia gets to connect with all of her previous hosts mm-hmm. by imbuing a semblance of them in the rest of the main cast. It's where we get Curzon Odo, which is... Should oh, have yes. stayed for the rest Amazing. of the show. I love Curzon Odo. That's a great um, episode. <laughs> but 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 there's a, a ritual. You hold the you hold this device with your thing and you you chant the ritual and it abused that aspect of the of the previous host to go into somebody else. And it felt like they were chanting the Jantara or they were very much using the same language, which is really cool. So mm-hmm. one neat connection I wanted to make again is, and I've, I do this a few times, um, which you might have missed, Watney, but there's a lot of parallels between what this season of uh, Discovery is doing and another show that was inspired by Gene Roddenberry called Andromeda. And mm-hmm. there's lots of parallels in how it's rebuilding the Federation or rebuilding the system's Commonwealth. And one of the things that you see in that show is a race called the Perseids, which are like the scientists and administrators of the system's Commonwealth. After it fell, they just kind of like settled back down on their own planet and just like waited for somebody to rebuild it for them. And then they would reassert their spot there and help things out again right one of the places that they meet these guys they go through something similar where they have to save them from themselves and then they're like okay but when you guys fix things up we're ready to join we'll be there for you and that's very similar to what we see here with the trill the trill had some internal problems uh the crew shows up helps them work through it hopefully gives them a reinvigoration of their culture and uh they're thankful and willing to rejoin when things settle back down so it's a good parallel there it's kind of tropey but it's a good parallel 
Oh, that, nice. But, yeah. uh, so uh, Andromeda, I might I have to put that on I my mean, watch list. Yeah, I was going to say, I need to watch that. I haven't seen that. So I'll give you this warning. There are five seasons to the show. The first two, no, there are four seasons to the show. The first two are good. The third is, eh. The fourth is just bad. So... Mm. Okay. You're going to have to just grin and, grin and bear it, huh? Try, I recommend grin and bearing it okay. because there are still characters that are worth watching the whole way through, basically. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah. That's yeah. how I felt about the fifth season of Babylon 5. Mm-hmm. A lot of people felt that way about it. Yeah. So are we ready to go continue? Oh, yeah. Also, yes, yes, cool yes. thing about this shawl. It's got the trill language around mm-hmm. the neck on it. Mm-hmm. The it's dope. triangles yeah. with the swans. Yeah. It's very cool. Style still exists. <laughs> we haven't future. lost our style we, we may be cut off from everyone else but we still know how to dress. continues <laughs> continues uh so we head back to the conference room and tilly is sitting with saru thanking so him damn bad for, for saru yeah he was like god i really fucked that up and I, um, I spent all this it could have been like roast. hey the computer told me to have a dinner for the crew this is what I will do. Mm-hmm. The crew needs a lot more help than just what they're going through is not going to be fixed by a dinner together. Sure. In fact, but they're not even ready to confront each other about the horrible things that like they've been through. They're they're projecting things. Food. Food though. Like just feed people and that makes them happy. I could what be, would you do for macaroni and cheese? Let's be real here. I could so. be absolutely pissed. At anyone, and if they bring me a pizza, then a lot of that just kind of washes very quickly. Like, Good to okay, know. you know, I can I can eat. Yes. So, Watney, if next time you you might be on the on the outs with the spouse, you guys are fighting. Food will just you know bring someone to Cinnabon and like, okay, what were we fighting about? You know, don't even remember. That's all powerful you do is, intel for me to you, make. Oh, I think I equipped you with you. some bad. Yes. So if you if you piss me off or something, Pepperoni. just have a have a pizza sent to me, and mm-hmm. I'll 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 forget the whole thing. Yeah, pepperoni, sausage, yeah. mm-hmm. bacon, extra cheese. Mm-hmm. Now, if you do extra cheese, then all is forgiven. I get like I get it, but honestly, a lot of these people probably were dissociating because they're having PTSD from what they went through, mm-hmm. and they didn't even really taste the food because they're like, "This, I don't want to deal with this. Like, right? I don't want to be around people. I don't know how who I even am right now." So, she, Tilly thanks her despite the way that things went, which was south. She encourages him, like don't you're doing a great job thank you for doing that stamets enters he apologizes to tilly and i'm kind of like tilly in this moment like if if i'm at odds with somebody and i'm like trying to make it better and they come apologize to me and they tell me i'm doing a good job and validate me i might start crying too right right i totally like empathize with her in this moment (laughs) well yeah and i i really think that the the dinner was not a, a total failure it's it's not a wash i really think that it was a a a good cathartic experience to get those things out because uh, as as a captain that saru was really trying to kind of like restore order to the table but however mm-hmm. it, it's it's like a uh, forget about rank you know stamets you're being an asshole this other person's venting and and mm-hmm. saru's just like oh well you know it's uh at, at that getting, point yeah. you're you're no longer rank you, you are you, it's the airing of grievances it's like you know like a festivus uh, the airing of grievances and um it's a chance to get those things to get those things out so even though saru uh you know look very much like you know one of those 
one of those dinner hosts, like I, you know, I spent all this time on this roast and everyone just leaves or whatever. Um, it ended up being a good thing. So I hope he doesn't see it as a total loss because that, that, I mean, that made me feel tight in the chest when he was just kind of sitting there and I, I felt bad for him. I was like, God, mm-hmm. yeah, like, you know, holy, holy shit. But you're totally, absolutely right. He, it didn't turn out as he intended, but the effect was still net, like net in the positive. right direction for sure. Yes. You're right. So, uh, Stamets apologizes to Tilly and just says like, Hey, um, I want to know more about your research. I want to know more about, about your ideas, which is everyone talking. It it did get everyone talking. talking. Um, it's almost, but like when someone is at odds with you like that and they're treating you like Samus was treating Tilly, Mm -hmm. it doesn't like an apology is what it is. It's important to move forward, but that hurt was still there. It still existed. The pain was still happening in that moment. So like, Sure. I've been in that situation where someone has just repeatedly like, and I've, I've told them like, Hey, this isn't okay. And it's keeps happening. And then they eventually apologize and ask me about like, Oh, well, I want to know your thoughts on this now. And I'm like, you're kind of panic fixing. Like you're kind of like band-aiding this right now. I don't want to talk about what I want. I wanted to talk about it then. You didn't want to hear it. And I want to talk about this on my terms now. So I'm happy that Tilly is big enough to kind of say, like, sure, I'll yeah. talk to you about it now because it's like vital for the ship. But she right. didn't have to do that. Well, well and the other thing that, that Saru did that just shows how much of a great captain he is, is that when you have something like this, that leave rank at the door, when you're coming in and, and, and sitting down in this kind of kind of gathering, then it's it's just you you should you should have that assumption that when, or, or you should be open enough as a commanding officer that when you come into here and we're sitting to eat, that take, take your pips and your combat off, you know, we're, we're, we're a month, we're eating as people, we're sitting as people. And if, if I have an ensign calling a superior officer and an asshole for how he's treating her, then you just got to let that fly. You know, it's like a, Okay. Yes. Uh, on, on duty, that would not have been okay. But you know, but if it was called for, I mean, maybe you know, I don't know the full story. Maybe he has really been a dick. Uh, but he he did not insert himself into being the the referee. It was just you know he, he tried right. He, yeah. he he tried to get a little bit of order there, but he he let him go he let him go and it ended up being well. And, and sure he had this look on his face, like what the hell am I going to do with all these leftovers? But he had a, he had a net positive experience on the whole thing. Mm-hmm. For sure. I'm with you. I think that the, the view of it is, I think the view of it being an airing of grievances is the right one. Right. And every now and then you got to vent at someone and mm-hmm. in the absence of like a counselor or some sort of like neutral arbiter, which is a great word for it. Sometimes the captain has to do that job. And I think he did it well. I don't think he should have inserted himself. He shouldn't have been like, okay, now you go. Oh, no, no, now you go. Right. Now let, let them air it out, right? And yep. I think that in the end, we see that they grew from it. Yeah, let the kids fight at the table. They'll, they'll figure it out later. Yeah, so we um, cut to sickbay at this point and Kayla uh, approaches sickbay, but she she kind of doesn't go all the way in, but she's in the doorway and, mm-hmm. and Colbert meets her there. I know you don't want to come all the way in. So I'll meet you here. And, uh, she admits she's not okay. Duh. And she's like, it's was hard to say that. And he's like, I know she's like, 
pilots are supposed to be macho. I get it, you know? And she's like, but I want to take you up on that talk that you suggested that we have. And he's like, yeah, I would love to do that. It's a very great one-on-one scene that we haven't gotten in the last two seasons in depth for these now vital Mm -hmm. characters. So they were vital before, but now we're like getting to know them more. So um, any thoughts on this scene? I think this, this right here, we, we shouldn't take for granted, even coming and verbalizing that you're not okay and, and that there's a problem. This right here, what Detmer's doing is uh, very mountainous, I don't even know if that's a word, very mountainous uh, uh, achievement there, being ready to have it come out of your mouth that I'm not okay and, and need someone to talk to. I mean, that that takes that takes a lot of courage and, and effort there uh, for, for her. So um, going all the way in was, was not really the, um, uh, the end game of the goal. It's just saying it, it, it it's finally, start. yes, it's the start is being able to admit it, admitting you have a problem. I mean, that is, that's, that's difficult. I, I, I gotta tell you, that is, that is not easy. It, you, you may think it's easy until it's your turn to do it. Um, and that's, and, and especially when you think you're right, you know, but then you end up having to accept that, well, maybe I'm not right. Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, that, that's what I'll say about, about this scene is that, that what she did right there was a, uh, was, was, was a huge step. Yes. We're going to see a lot of growth with these characters mm-hmm. starting from ground zero morning, a previous life. So we'll, I'm super excited to get to see all the, Oh, wow. That's, that's a, I, I didn't think of that think of it that way morning a previous life mm-hmm. you're, you're yeah. right I, I was curious and burnham's already thing, done all that go ahead go sure. ahead right, so. no, i was just curious about one thing though from the way the shot the scene was shot so the previous one with saru tilly and samets it was a very red room it was inside of the same room where they did the dinner like the feeling of the scene was very warm right mm-hmm. whereas this scene where we have culber and and Detmer talking about it. It's just outside of the sick bay and it's very blue and it's kind of sterile and it feels very different than the previous scene. Mm-hmm. Now I get that they still work through some of their issues, but it wasn't the same. It wasn't like a warm familial. Let's just sit down and talk shit about this. Right. Like it was much more like professional. I have a problem. Mm-hmm. You can help me kind of. It thing. was, so. it, it, you know, it, it definitely to me, it demonstrated the idea that it on in the meeting room, the parties came together willing to be open and talk about it and, and hash it out here. Detmer is, is just putting one foot on the stairway. She knows something's up, but she may not have the words or the desire to immediately just jump through it and get it done. This is a woman who in the last three years has suffered major trauma, the war jumping universes and now with, with barely time to recover from any of that and spend time with any of the people that really mean something to her, she's 900 years in the future with another recent head injury that might have triggered some really serious memories from the trauma of the first head injury. Mm-hmm. And she's 900 mm-hmm. years away. Her entire you know external from the ship support group is gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and she doesn't quite know how to handle that except to say there's something wrong. And this is the, this is the moment that we get where she's like, you know, I'm 
gonna work through it, but it's gonna yeah. be at my pace, which is exactly yeah. how therapy. Works. It's like a great example of infinite diversity and infinite combinations because everyone experiences trauma in their own way. Everyone cracks at a certain mm-hmm. depth, and it, sometimes it takes a little bit longer for the light to reach those cracks for for other people. So I think it was a good diversity of of scenes here and a good writing. It was very good from a writing perspective. So yeah, no, um, I wasn't criticizing the change. I was just saying like it's oh, notable. Absolutely that not saying that at yeah. all. Yeah, it, I, I love the the change. I love the dynamic and the difference here. Um, so we cut to the shuttle bay because at the end of the scene with the two of them in the doorway, we hear over the intercom, please report to shuttle bay for a surprise. For a, yeah, for a yeah. surprise. <laughs> um, and the, the, there's a movie night going on. I think it's like Charlie Chaplin or something like that. It's, it's, it's Buster like, Keaton. Buster Keaton. Okay. Oh, the computer, was, had um, the computer had mentioned that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I so um, I wish they would have gone to like gets handed a goth popcorn like uh, container, which I die. I just die for that. Is it? And she's is it like, goth oh, or is on, it? I guess I'll eat it. <laughs> the fandom thinks that Giorgio and Linus are in a relationship, so the ship name is Gorgeous. <laughs> Oh, very nice. I love how they set her up with like, oh, you must have an incredible visual spectrum. And he's like, (laughs) I do. Let's go for a walk. And then that's all we hear about it. And we know that something's going on, but we don't know what it is. They go into a turbulence. You know, with a Saurian who does have an incredible visual spectrum, we saw that we saw that scene as like, uh, is this a technical thing that Giorgio is pointing out? Does she need him for something? But what if it's flattery? That way at all? What if it's flattery? I think it's yeah, both because yeah. that's Giorgio. <laughs> I thought she was looking at the menu. We did. We talked that's about that. That's 100% right. So we, uh, everyone's having fun. That The laughter here is very sitcom. Like yeah. it was kind of awkward to me that everyone's dying laughing at these like super old movies. But um, Stamets and Kayla, look at them right there. They, they hug it out. It's pretty great. She looks desperate. She's like, she looks just like still in shell shock, but she's like, you're familiar. I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm healing. You're healing. We're all healing here. So we'll, we'll get through this. And Saru George, like push, push them closer. You notice they have the, uh, do they just leave that shuttle bay door open all the time? I'm a yeah. little, it bugs it, the hell out of me. It does. There's a lot of faith and confidence in that the, whatever force fields back there. I mean, there if that are thing, certainly redundancies. If that thing Jay. decides to just like reboot. All of their cargo <laughs> is in there. They absolutely have redundant systems. But why does it have to be open? Field. It doesn't have to close the dope. Close the it damn garage cool. door. You're letting all the air out. Um, Do we ever see the garage door or the shuttle bay door actually close in Discovery? I, can't I think sometimes. Like, right. No, why would it? You can phase through the fucking shields with your ship. You don't even need I'll, a door. That is I'll the door. Agree. I'll agree that this is a bad idea. If between Jay and Hawkshark, you guys can give me five instances where force fields failed and someone died. Oh. In Star Trek. Uh, in 2009. 2009, we see Were the shields f- go down. We the shields. See- I'm talking about force fields. There's a force Same field thing. here at the cargo bay. Nice. Same thing. The shields are external to that. Uh, Same in, uh, in Nemesis, in Nemesis, when the uh, uh, the front of the bridge of the Enterprise E got blown out, and the uh, but the uh, force field came the- down faster. Then not, not fast enough. Sucked out. Not, yeah, not for two. Oh, no, oh, right, right, right. right. One of but discovery when Burnham is in the brig. Three. Yep. She shut down the force field on purpose. No, it was going yes, to shut did. down. It was, it was going to kill her. It was, it was going to kill her. That, that's like the best instance, I think. It, it was about to. So that was happening anyway. 
All right, that's three. Okay, three under protest. I'll be able to get you more. <laughs> no, and you guys aren't wrong. Okay, it's how about listeners? Here, listeners, course. you fill in the gap for us with the other two, <laughs> and we'll continue giving you the quality <laughs> that you are here for. So, um, I just yes, I'm saying that's I don't an know. unnecessary risk. Cool. Is it though? They okay, live in a fine, let's just, all right, let's just move on. God, okay. What if the gravity uh, breaks at any moment? Gravity's what if, fine. What if you the gravity turns out too high. This is not supposed to be pick on Big J Day. <laughs> <laughs> what a, okay, the real risk here, the real risk on starships, inertial dampeners. Oh, hell oh. yeah, it is. Squish. Okay. Like even uh, at even standard orbit, if the inertial dampeners fail, you're still traveling thousands of kilometers a mi- an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Nurse magic. So Culver, Cul Culver and Saru bond here. It's pretty great for the CMO mm-hmm. and the captain to bond. I love it. Bridge crew. It's like you have to have a good relationship with your CMO as the captain. You just have to. You do. Um, we learn the sphere is what we heard earlier. The sphere lives on within discovery and it wants to protect and cherish the crew. In fact, the movie night was its idea. We, we know that the computer voice in the previous scene now was not Saru ordering the ca- computer to. It said, guys, come here. I have a surprise for you. So it's Oh, crap. Totally, that's right. Yeah. It's totally like a, a another character now. It's amazing. I love it. I, I, I like that. I think if, if Control is going to be uh, like another character, that's that's great. I'm all for the uh, uh, Giorgio and, and Linus uh, relationship. I think that will be neat. Mm-hmm. That'll be a, you know, a nice little little thing on the uh, I on don't the side. see that a ship at all. Um, well, mm, I mean, I don't get it. I thought it was like, a I could use you because Giorgio is very much like, oh, oh she's maybe... probably using him for something. Okay, she's but probably we debating know... fricassee versus deep fry versus like we, oven baked. When we were in the mirror <laughs> universe on Kronos, uh, she like got together, like hooked up with some Orions and then like basically like held a gun at them to give for them to give her info so we know that that's how she views that that was that was a main universe never mind you're right you're right Um, i got messed up but she did that so like we know that uh like relationships in that way are kind of like a secondary consideration for her so Right, I, right. I don't see it but it would be dope if that was a thing uh so anyway we cut to um after this very awesome, cool scene, we cut to uh, the quarters. I think it's Burnham's quarters. I don't know, oh, but Adira one is there. Thing before we go. Yeah. One more thing before we go to the next scene. There's another thing from Andromeda, which is kind of relevant here. In Andromeda, the ships have an AI. It's by design. It's not an accident. It's not a spore thing. It's not a sphere thing. It's just they have an AI, and it has a personality. It has a name. It has an avatar that it uses on the ship like a hologram that it talks to people with. And it also has an Android that it can go into for when it goes on away missions too. So the ship is part of the crew. Ooh. The ship has almost a rank, like it has like authority over people at points. Yeah, right? it's like Edie from Mass Effect. Exactly, it's a lot like yeah. Edie from Mass Effect. I need to watch and this show. Voice like by Trisha Zora, I feel like oh. Zora is a lot like how they used Rami, the Andromeda's like AI in that show as well. So there's a lot of parallels here because they're both Roddenberry things. I feel like, Pointing them out makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. We love it. I, I, I think that the quarters are um, are Adira's. And, Adira's. And not... So Adira gets her own quarters, yep. and Burnham is basically. Oh yeah, because because Burnham leaves. What am I thinking? Right, of course, right. it's Adira's yeah. I ain't leaving you in so, my room. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we 
we have like a, a tender moment, like, thank you for your help. And then Burnham gets up to leave as Adira's pulling on a cello. So Sinatel's parents used to sing him the lullaby that she plays and Gray used to play the cello. And so now Adira p- puts all of that together. And it's like a very cool, like mesh of all of the hosts that she's now kind of working in synchronicity and synergistically with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we get the memory of her boyfriend showing up and, um, it's just very cool. It's very sweet. It's and, sweet. and she's trying to work that out now. Like the, how are you here? Uh, is, is what, what Adira says. And, and even Gray says, I don't know. Um, so that's, that's going to be something that now we'll, we'll get to see the continuation of, of their relationship because it, it does continue on in a way that uh, neither one of them is, is familiar with so that they're, they're going to both be, be learning well, how do, how do we do this? Because I'm not really here. You can see me, no one else can. And, and neither one of us knows how or why this is working or happening. So that, that will be, be very interesting. So Dag, correct me if I'm wrong here, but whenever Jadzia or as you were talking about the symbionts of the previous hosts, they never refer to them as like being here still. They're just a part of me. They're not still alive. They died, but they're here through me. Right. Which is very different than the sort of like presentation of like um, Gray literally being next to Adira and like holding her hand and critiquing her bow form. Right. Like it's a difference that might be only possible because uh, Adira is human, whereas all the previous hosts were Trill. So how it manifests might be different. In DS9 Field of Fire, Esri is able to call forth a presence of Duran. That's the right of emergence. Who she sees Mm -hmm. next to her. Um, and, and so that might be something similar here. Um, but we have never seen, um, the, the, the combination of a lover receiving, uh, a dead lover's symbiont, uh, nor have we seen, uh, a successful, and I'm going to ignore Riker and Odan cause it wasn't long-term, uh, a successful human trill, human symbiont pairing. So there's definitely could be some interplay there that gives Adira a very unique experience, specifically with Gray, but maybe with uh, her previous their previous hosts uh, overall. And uh, I guess that kind of leads into my gripe. But did anybody have any comments about that before I? I- um i think that this is up to artistic interpretation largely um i don't personally feel like i i think it's a way for us to see the influence in a way that's from the trills perspective as they're alone because gray i don't think appeared when burnham was there so it could very well be like a human a human thing um, i just retract my thing I, I i remember field of fire now dag you're right i think that that's basically what's going on it's just not intentional right it's like she has the the, the emergence ceremony going on but she didn't do it on purpose it's just kind of haunting her essentially but that that i think fits really well and i had i totally forgot about the fact that that wasn't a real person with esri that that was like from her imagination mm-hmm. so this yeah. is definitely very interesting to me um It'll be cool to see how it plays out. Uh, and if yeah. we get the other characters too. It would definitely be really nice to, uh, uh, we said it's the Burnham show, but I would like to see the lives of Tall as as a focus at some point. I thought the, um, sorry. Yo, go ahead. 
I thought the beautiful thing about how they did it in DS9 was the nuance of Dax speaking for them and the portrayal of that of the actress being able to show us the lives and memories and influence of these previous lives without having to resort to things like using them as basically a hallucination. Right. And I, I would like to think that technical and aesthetic choices aside, there's a distinction between a host being able to just freely access and recall those memories and speak in sort of the voice of that, Mm -hmm. that host versus what Esri did with Duran and what's happening here with tall. Yeah. Um, I, I, I want to follow that speculation that there's, those are distinct things. Mm -hmm. Um, very cool things. Yes. Um, but I, my gripe, I'm going to get into that. And Jay, I'm sorry. It's now a three hour podcast. Um, oh, God help me. <laughs> um, when, before discovery premiered, they, they spoke very highly that we were going to have the, the most gay Trek of all time. We've got a non-binary character. We've got some gay characters. We also have uh, gray who is going to be our trans character. And I love the fact that Star Trek's finally catching up with the boat. Cause in a lot of ways, media is already well ahead of even where they are now. Um, but I am actually upset that Gray is dead. Um, I, I don't know if I'm upset for somebody who doesn't feel that way, but, uh, in talking to people, it kind of feels like they used a trope and I'm borrowing this from TV tropes. It's the bury your gaze trope. Yeah. Um, it, it's the, the thing that the, the queer character always gets killed off. And it may have something to do with their queerness or the, the, the conception of their queerness. And that doesn't necessarily apply here to Grey because Grey was not killed because they were trans. They were killed because an accident happened. But I, I'm upset because we, we don't really, I don't think we're going to get to know Grey as their own character. We're going to get to know this echo of gray that exists in tall that is interpreted by Adira. And I'm just upset about that. Uh, I don't know if it's, if I need to be more upset or less upset, but if anybody wants to comment on this and be like, dag, shut up. It's cool. Um, it's no, like, right. please do. It, it's a trope. I, you're right. It is a trope, but like the whole point of trill like joinings is that you live on. So, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's just how I feel. Like it's kind of a special circumstance, and given the progressiveness of the writers, it's hard for me to think that they like did that maliciously or like in the way of the trope. But again, that's not my that's not my my space to be upset in. So I will totally validate anybody that feels that way. I personally kind of see it as like it's a trills like story. And so the thing is like to transfer the consciousness. I don't know. The, the other thing that I'm uh, the, uh, just want to say real quick, the other thing that, that I'm thinking about is uh, what, what, what would the, the purpose of the, the story had, had been, or the plot had been, had there not been a, a situation, an emergency situation that would put a symbiont in a human host anyway so what you're saying is is that okay let, let's just say that 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 gray we, we didn't do the the trope of of barrier gaze and, and gray lived would gray still have the symbiont or not would there have been a reason to have adira even involved so, is just how would that story have worked if knowing knowing what we know now 
I, I don't necessarily disagree. I may have missed the boat when they introduced Gray uh, as a trill. Um, we didn't know Adira was going to be the one holding the host. So, you know, it would have been a different story. It, they could have told, uh, they could have had Gray be the one receiving the host from Tall in that accident, and then Gray would come aboard, uh, you know, Enterprise or <laughs> Discovery, sorry. Um, <laughs> And it's it's just it's it's an interesting way to make this fit. I just would have preferred that Gray be yeah. another living member, and Adira yes. and Gray can explore this relationship together. Yes, in real we life. Love the representation. We hate that it ended. So just to in point the way out, of a living person. <laughs> okay. Discovery started off with a huge example of barrier gaze, right? So the big thing with barrier gaze is usually barrier gaze prevents a gay character, a bi character, a lesbian character from having a happy relationship, right? It somehow prevents it. It keeps them from having a developed character. It's like a, a negative chain around them because right. it happened, right? And we happened that happened in first season. We had Culver dying pretty brutally when he was murdered, yeah. right? And there were tons of cries about Star Trek Discovery, so progressive, yet look, barrier gaze. And they right. were right. They brought it back using the magic of Star Trek, which only we can get away with. Uh, but now we've got this example. And I don't really think this one fits because from what we've seen, Adira isn't going to be deprived the opportunity to have love or loving relationship with Grey. If anything, uh, she's going to be able to continue having it, right? At least that's what we've been presented so far in our singular episode of knowing about it. Right, so, our two minutes. Right, not even. So it's like, we don't know enough yet, but it's very possible that they can avoid the trope simply because the character Grey keeps showing up and continues to show like character development for Adira because the relationship continues even after um, Grey's death. So correct. They, it, there is a lot of possibility for science fiction to use a trope in a way that can't be done with other media. Like you can't have this episode, this sort of concept in ER. Yeah, the, the, the character died, they died. So we, we get away with a little bit more that way. But yeah, as far as I'm with you, I, I can see the con the confusion or the complaint about it being a barrier gay situation, but I think that they've kind of subverted it because the character still sticks around essentially. And there's a purpose. There There is a purpose for both of them to to be there and, and, and interact uh, as opposed Whereas to- Whereas Culver's death didn't feel purposeful at all, right? Like right. it felt right. arbitrary. Oh God, yeah. Y yes, Ugh. yes. Yeah. Um, they're, they're definitely- I'm going to use the word intersectional here. I'm not sure if I'm using it correctly because I am not as well read in the literature as a lot of other people are. But, you know, we have a non-binary character, a trans character. In the reality of the series, Gray is part of Tall. So I'll, some of this could just be happening in Adira's head. Um, and then we're stumbling on, on did disassociative identity disorder related kind of things and how they portray gray and adira's uh, dynamic here for lack of a better word um it, it, it's they're gonna i i feel like the writers have to tread very carefully to avoid stepping on quite a few different kinds of toes here just my thought i don't know if that's also over reacting to what's going on here but um, I think the concern is totally valid. And I think that that community has seen it happen so many times that this is another time and it's not cool. So rightfully so. so, so. Do it right. 
do it correctly, do it right. We like representation, but not at the cost of a healthy, fulfilling life. Like give right. us a, a fulfilling character arc for somebody. I don't, know if, I don't know if anybody saw, um, was it Daredevil? The last season of Daredevil where they had a character. Oh, that's a great show. Typh- Typhoid Mary. They had, they portrayed her and she had disassociative identity disorder but as well as the character may have portrayed that uh the community was still upset that why did they have to be the villain why did they have to be the villain why do people with alternate lifestyles initially get represented as bad guys and um, we need to turn the corner though right like if yeah we do i I agree there needs to be a time period where we don't represent LGBTQ people as like always the villains, right? Right. Cool. Mm-hmm. That That's the point that we should be finding ourselves in now, right? But there has to be a point where now or in the future where LGBTQ, et cetera, doesn't become like a, a rationale for anything. It's just, they're just a person. They can right. be the villain. They can be the hero. They can be the savior at the end of the day, right? They can be all of these things. Right. And I think that if you're a progressive or forward-looking show, like Star Trek tries to be and like Supergirl has tried to be, you can cast uh, intersectional characters in good roles and in bad roles. And you can do both without getting like undue criticism, I think. And I mean, I think it's important that we're rounding that parts of our entertainment media are rounding that corner. And Mm -hmm. and again, the fandom, the fandom is very diverse and you're going to end up with people who are like, why are you portraying them as the bad guy? And you're going to have people being like, no, no, it's totally cool because we're people and we're allowed to be people. Right. And so you have to be able to have that conversation and say, okay, can we agree somewhere in here that, you know, the most progressive thing is to treat people as, as people, or is that even, it, 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 are, are we at a place where we can present that in media now? Well, if, if the, um, if this, if this most recent uh, map and demographic and results of our our 2020 presidential election is an indication of anything, the question, uh, the, the answer to that question is uh, no, not yet. And uh, that that is a, you know, we're, we're gradually turning that corner because you're, you're, you're still dealing with half of your population being being very much on the on the side of uh, non ex, uh, exclusive non inclusivity mm-hmm. of anyone who is different or not like me. So yeah. un, un, unfortunately, we're 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 seeing that um, no no half, half your country is is still not ready for uh, anything progressive like that or or minority based. So yeah. And on that note, oh, and yes, and and on that yeah. note, I I feel like this this was announced while we were talking, and I, I I feel some weight off my chest already. Like this this entire past week, it it, it felt like we were on the Mari Povich show waiting for the results of the paternity test. This week was longer than quarantine has been since March. We're recording yeah. in November. It's it's been a very long week. Today is November third, part five. <laughs> this this year has been the longest decade of my life, and right. this week has been the longest year of my life. Right. Yeah. Yes. So yes. It is November seventh at twelve thirty nine p.m. Central Time, and in the middle of recording this podcast, it was announced that Joe Biden has won the presidency for twenty twenty. 
2020. Um, and we'd like to congratulate uh, Mr. Biden and his team and, uh, of course, Kamala on their victory uh, yes, over our previous president. And, Kamala uh, Harris, just- who is now the, the first elected uh, period uh, woman and person of color yes to the vice presidency yes mm-hmm. and we encourage a peaceful transition of power <laughs> well of course which we know so, absolutely <laughs> well um, and that's so we're, we're talking which is great that this happened the way that it did today because we're talking about this diversity in 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 star trek um and now we we see again, that those, those ideals of diversity, uh, end up being able to, to break through. Yeah. It was a very tough week, but they were able to, to break through. And now we have that, that, that very positive, very welcoming piece of diversity mm-hmm. now with a, uh, a woman of color, uh, as vice president of the United States, you know, we, we had a, we had a man of color who was, who was president of, of course, with, with president Obama, but, you know, it's like that, that call of diversity is, is still there. It's, it's still, it's still answering. And uh, regardless of all the, the, the lying, the plotting, the scheming, the threatening, gerrymandering that, mm-hmm. uh, that, that is known of the Republican party, we were able to, that, that, that diversity is still alive. Electoral college, yes. 270 votes and the popular vote as well. So goodbye. Right. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I would like to take a moment na, 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 to recall hey, a hey, quote from boy. Gene Roddenberry. Mm-hmm. Um, he said that Star Trek was an attempt to say that humanity will reach maturity and wisdom on the day that it begins not just to tolerate, but to take a special delight in, I can make a stupid pop up, but to take a special delight in differences and in ideas and differences in life forms. And I really, I may have said it sometime in the past, of course, we love this thing, but taking special delight is very important to me. And I think if people viewed diversity like that, they might be able to have a better barometer to check themselves. Tolerating people that's like baseline humans deserve your tolerance at best. Like we don't want to kill people. We don't want to hurt people. We kind of want to work to just be like neutral at, at a minimum, but taking special delight. If I'm the, I'm the kind of person I can see Kamala Harris elevate to this vice presidential position. And I'm so excited for, for her as a person, for what she's worked for. Mm-hmm. And I'm so excited for the level of representation she's going to give unto others. Martin Luther King told Michelle Nichols not to quit Star Trek because on Star Trek, she was an equal. Mm-hmm. Whoopi Goldberg was inspired to become an actress in part because she saw Michelle on Star Trek and she ran through the house saying, mom is a black woman on TV and she ain't nobody's maid. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. This is a hell of a time for representation. And if you're listening, if you're watching, do you take the special delight in in the diversity of others? Or are you sort of cringing internally and going, I wish this hadn't happened? That's a barometer to think about. Like, let's be real, right? Star Trek, from its original roots, with the Roddenberry quote you just read, has always been a very progressive, forward-thinking, liberal, you might even say, like, form of media, right? Mm-hmm. And... I feel like the overlap between working towards a more diverse future starts today, right? And if our step towards that is having a, a more representative government, then that's a good 
that's a good step, right? But right. my big thing, what I really, really want to say, though, is that it's going to be nice to see a kind of leadership in the White House that is more like what I would want on a ship, right? I would rather have a Picard running a ship. Great tie-in. Yeah, like I'd rather have somebody like Picard <laughs> running a ship. Who, you know, he's authoritative, he's distant, but he he at least you can he's listening to his people. He knows what he's doing. He's not he's capricious. He's not arbitrary. He can get you out of sticky situations, i.e., a pandemic. Right. If Picard announces that he's delegating the responsibility of saving the ship to Jordy LaForge, I can trust that Jordy knows what he's doing. Right. He's not right. going to get arrested. Well, yeah. think, think about it for the last four years. He's been cold. It has been unemotional. It has been distant. It has been like, uh, and it's been completely inappropriate, right? Like he's just been the wrong guy for the wrong time. So, I mean, I'm just happy that it's finally over. Right, right. And, and here's here's the other thing that really speaks to uh, the the quote that Dag just gave us uh, from from Gene Roddenberry is that it has it hasn't taken, and hopefully it it won't, but. In Star Trek, the turning point for humanity was was World War III, um, and, and look at all the all the horrible things that that led up to that for humanity to finally realize we there just needs to be this complete fundamental change. Now it, it wasn't until ten years after the Third World War where uh, uh, Vulcans discovered Earth because of uh, Zephyrin Zephyrin Cochrane's warp test, successful warp test. But but here in our time, the hope is that we don't have to go through the Bell Riots, that we, we don't have um, all, all the things that were depicting Star Trek. We, we, have, we have had, we've seen how bad things can be. As a country, we were tested and failed miserably. Um, and, and, and so hopefully being on that, on that precipice of um, the, near, the near death of democracy and, and how fascism was just about welcomed with open arms. And I'm, I'm hoping that we see that. We see that we narrowly avoided that um, and, and that we've got a taste of, if you want things to be bad, it can be. Look at what happened in the last four years. You, we certainly have it within ourselves to, um, to jump into a nightmare. Yeah, and can't be my, complacent. Right, right. It's 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 not a joke. You know, voting for Kanye West is not funny. Um, you know, v- voting for Harambe for uh, the president is not funny. I mean, how think about how we got in the situation with with Trump in the first place? Is you know, we we screw around and mess around with with votes and think that everything's a joke. And oh no, you know, reality show host is not going to be you know elected. It's like, hey, this is our wake up call right now, and which has a, a, a lot of parallels to, to Star Trek is because um, Earth was given that, that wake-up call uh, of, the, you know, of the war. And, and we as a country have been given that wake-up call of get your act straight or things are going to be very bad. And here is your taste. Here's your, you, you don't think things can be bad. Here's, here's how bad it could be. And Well said. Um, you know, and the fact that I've... I've never been happier to uh, to follow an, an election. I mean, back when it was Bush versus Gore, it's like okay, whatever. You know, it's Gore's not bad. You know, Bush. I mean, it, it, you know, I, I, I don't want to get you know get too too deep into it. We probably lost our couple of conservative listeners if we had any. Anyway, hey, and if you are a conservative um, Trekkie, tell us why. Right, tell us what about Star Trek appeals to you as like a 
as a form of media too. Right. Yeah, so yes, like, yes, I totally want to hear what you have to say, but in good faith. Oh, well, right. Right. Additionally, it, 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 I think, I think we should wrap. Oh God. Um, yes. Yes, please. You know, yes. we, we, we love to, t- we could talk about this literally for Forever. hours and hours and we do, yes. but we do it in installments. <laughs> and, um, I just want to say thank you so much for, for sticking with us. Um, this episode discovery has been awesome so far. My opinion, love it. This episode was mm-hmm. great. I'm excited to see more in the development of these characters who have been through so much. Um, I want to tell you, tell you where you can find us online. You, if you want to support us, find us at patreon.com slash beyond Trek. If you want to talk to us, find us on Twitter at Beyond Trek Pod. A DAG is super active on there, or at Instagram at Beyond Trek Podcast. And um, we do have a Facebook, facebook.com slash Beyond Trek Productions. And I want to give a super special thank out to Stephanie Baker, a Patreon anchor donator, um, and Jim Cook, who is an anchor donator as well. And uh, of course, John from Cygnus x1.net you provide the stills from the episode for us so we definitely couldn't do that without you thank you so much for your partnership is john a big value of our production literally hinges on your screenshots so thank you very much for that yes yes if uh and and, and just like stamets we want to keep you protected in a glass cage don't let anything happen to you because <laughs> yeah, something happens to you, we're, we're in trouble. So hope, hope you're listening to that. And um, I, I do want to leave you guys with one final tidbit here. So Betty White was born in 1922. Sliced bread did not become a thing until 1928. So Betty White is literally older than sliced bread. And may she continue to remain. <laughs> and I don't want to see her name trending. No. Nope. Any article that says Betty White is, I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, everybody. Uh, thank you yeah. so much for going boldly with Beyond Trek Podcast. Yes. See you next time. Thank you. Until next time. We are Beyond Trek Podcast. Lower your inhibitions and surrender your years. We will add inspirational and hilarious Trek content to your day. Your attention will adapt to subscribe to us. Resistance is futile.